available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everybody, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 247 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 247 CBS Sports Network. I still, it's hard to say that still. We are the Podcast of Champions, talking Pac-12 football. I'm a little under the weather. Dave, I think, is a little hungover because it was his birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Dave. Thank you, thank you. It was a it was a interesting birthday <laughs> with uh, with Jim Mora being fired. We shared a birthday, me and Jim Mora. We were both November nineteenths, and uh, I think I had a slightly better day you, than well, he did. You still do share a birthday. It didn't go away that he got fired, but we'll we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, the email address, if you want to send us an email, and a lot of you have, which we love. Uh, Pac12podcast at gmail.com. It's funny, like, we think about our show being talking about the games. The majority of our show is answering the questions at this point, Dave. You realize that. Like, most of the time, that's what we're doing. Yeah, I've been timing it, and we've done about, like, 45 minutes to 50 minutes, like, the game stuff, and then it's about an hour and 15 <laughs> on, on questions. Um, because we, we're pretty dedicated to reading all of them, except last week, um, I, I mistakenly, uh, like, missed, like, four because oh. I just assumed that we had gotten to them because we had like 40 questions in our inbox. And I'm like, oh, we, we must have gotten to these. We didn't. Oh. We hadn't. Well, yeah, we're bad people. Well, we can bring them, maybe we can bring them back this week if they're still relevant. Um, uh, yeah, they weren't. So. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, we apologize for that. Well, Dave does because, you know, we're both idiots. I blame just, myself. He, he was an idiot on that instance, but we're both idiots in a lot of different ways. Uh, our website, if you want to find any of our old shows, listen to our idiot takes, you can do that at pac12podcast.com. So that's pretty simple. And then a voicemail. We got one again this week. We love when you call in and share your thoughts with us. We'll play it for you. The number is 641-715-3900, extension 734-972. Please subscribe on iTunes. Uh, positive feedback is great. I haven't looked at the, the show for a while, but we get a bunch of five-star ratings, which is good. Hopefully we still do. I haven't looked at it lately. I don't know. Did you check it out, Dave? Yeah, I've, I've looked at it pretty frequently. Oh, um, good. Okay. I think we're at like a good four and a half stars right now. Okay. Uh, but we want to get to that pure that pure and good five star rating. So we're gonna need we're gonna need some more reviews there. Yeah. Some more reviews and ratings. So get on it, people. We should. Yeah. Maybe the off season we could kind of read some of the reviews, like the good ones. The if there's any I bad wanna- ones. Well, I want to read my favorite one ever. Uh, This is from a year ago at this time. It's a one-star review. (laughs) LOL by Dave Woods is a douche. Uh, Dave is a know-it-all about us playing parentheses football. His predictions and scouting skills leave much to be desired. Hopefully he finds a different career that he's actually good at. Ryan is okay, but... But both these guys follow high school boys around for a living. There's something inherently weird about that. I get the idea that both of these guys are more suited to report on chess tournaments or gamer conventions. 
If you want a good podcast to listen to, check the Huddlecast. Former players cover the same topics that Ryan and Dave cover. They're just way better and obviously more qualified to speak intelligently about college football. <laughs> um, you were, it's funny, the beginning when you were, there were, there was uh, talking about what he said specifically about you, it was cutting out a little bit. So it kind of sounds like we were bleeping out some bad words. I think <laughs> <it was good. laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> if you want to read that first line again, maybe, because I, I. Oh, you want, you want me to read that one again? Uh, sure. Dave Woods is a douche. Uh, Dave is a know-it-all about a sport he's obviously never played. Nice. Parentheses. It's great. I love it. Oh, cool. All right, Dave. Well, let's uh, let's do a little bit of breaking news. Um, there's a couple of notes I have, and then we have some, some big topics to get to. Uh, first of all, did you know, Dave, that five teams in the Pac-12 are undefeated at home? Did you know that? I didn't know that, but it feels right. Yeah. Um, so you want to? I got them here. Do you want any guesses? Like who's undefeated at home? I know you know at least one of them. UCLA is undefeated at home. They are. They are five uh, and zero. I would guess that Washington State is defeated at, undefeated at home. They are. They're seven and zero. They started off with seven, uh, five straight home games, and they are seven and zero at home. I would guess that USC is undefeated at home. They are. They are also 7-0 at home. Clay Helton's not lost as the head coach in the Coliseum, which is kind of crazy. I think he's 16-0. Um, I believe that Washington is undefeated at home. They are 6-0. Very good. You got one more. Um, I want to say that Arizona is undefeated at home. And, um, it's uh, Stanford. Stanford's undefeated at home. Oh, hey, Look yeah. at Stanford. So, uh, not to you know, for at least from last week, the top four teams in our power rankings are all undefeated at home. So that's kind of interesting. That's great. Yeah, we little... we have a we have a feel for this. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I guess so. Not that that reviewer that what was his name. David Woods is a douche. I said, I, uh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I believe his name is Dave Woods is a douche. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. Um, well, we also had, yeah. so there's big, big news, but we also had the uh, Pac-12 schedule was released. And at least from the people that have like reviewed it online, it, there's not the horrible you know road game followed by a Friday night road game anymore. So I, I guess they maybe they listen to the show and they listen to everyone kind of complaining about it. So that that seems like it's a good thing. Yeah, I would say that they they displayed like an average level of competence in creating the schedule. <laughs> I don't think they did anything spectacular. I don't think they did the Pac-12 any favors, but at least they didn't actively hinder the possibility of potentially making the playoff next year. So. I guess good for showing a baseline competence. Pac-12. Nice. Um, I you know I didn't look to see. So there's no one that doesn't have a bye week. Um, so that's good. Uh, I think it's made possible because, or at least that's what they're saying. Because BYU has a couple of games, and they can you know you, there's some BYU games in November. But I don't know if anyone has their bye week in November because I know that was one of the points of contention that five Pac-12 schools had. November bye weeks, um, and no other. I believe no other Power Five conference had a team with a November bye week. Yeah, honestly, the schedule this year and actually last year too, it looked like they had put the schedule through like an automatic schedule generator, like in a video game <laughs> that has like no parameters and no, 
no human being had looked at it before it was released. <laughs> like, that's how it looked the last few years. This looks like a human being actually said, oh, okay, we've got to do this, this, and this. Yeah. Now, I don't think they put a ton of thought into it, but they, they put at least a little, and okay. that's nice to see. You know, if, if Larry Scott's going to be the highest paid commissioner in the land, uh, maybe having an actual human look at the schedule and say, this doesn't make any sense. Let's change this. Yeah, I think that was probably a good move. Yeah. And then, obviously, huge news. And uh, we were called out on Twitter, Dave, because we did not feel that this would happen. But your soulmate in birthday land, uh, Jim Mora, uh, was fired. Yeah. Yeah, he was. And and completely justifiably. Um, But uh, was not anticipating this. This kind of blew me away uh, Sunday morning when it happened. Um, I don't know if, so we hadn't heard real rumblings that it was going to happen this way. Um, and it sounds like it kind of wasn't supposed to happen with Jim Mora, um, after the USC game, um, and basically asked him, Hey, why don't you step down after the season? Um, but we'll give you some time to find a new job. And Mora being, being a classic red ass, uh, said no. Um, and then Guerrero fired him on the spot. So, uh, maybe a, a little bit not the way it was supposed to happen, but it happened. Um, so Dan Guerrero has his first uh, in the regular season firing under his belt. Um, Jim Mora is gone. And uh, now UCLA enters the Chip Kelly sweepstakes. We'll see if that's still relevant by the time this podcast goes up. But yeah. that's where we're looking right now. We're recording this actually a little earlier on Monday than we normally do. Um, so, yeah, so... There's kind of news breaking all the time. It seemed like the rumors were uh, he was going to be hired at Florida, and then UCLA is kind of throwing their hat in the in the ring. And uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't see this being resolved like super soon. Like I don't think it's like by the time we get this up. But you know, maybe you know this week sometime we find out where Chip Kelly wants to go. It's, it should be really interesting. I mean, the coaching carousel is always fun, and now you got like. I mean, I think SEC fans would be pissed if, like, Chip Kelly picked Florida. I mean, uh, UCLA over Florida. But he's just more, of, to me, more of a West Coast guy, just more of a laid-back guy than being in the fishbowl in the SEC. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the fishbowl aspect of the SEC is never going to be super attractive to a guy like Chip Kelly, who never showed great, you know, interest in, you know, in the limelight earlier on in his career. Uh, know if UCLA's the most awesome fit in the world from that perspective either I think it's obviously less high profile than the SEC but it is in in that whole deal um, but it's I mean it, it certainly makes more sense as a fit for him than than Florida or any other job that's going to open up uh, this cycle so I think from those perspectives it makes sense um, I, I'm I'm you know I'm a I'm a longtime follower of UCLA so I'm very much in the I'll believe it when I see it camp um, but it, uh, it, you know, uh, it's good for them that they're, they're taking a major shot at it. Yeah, this certainly is a, uh, it's a, an aggressive move, which, uh, you know, you gotta tip your cap to UCLA for making an aggressive move like this. Um, now there's a big buyout and I, we had a tweet actually, Dave, from D Zolta, D E E at D E E Z O T H A. And it said, is this $12 million paid with tax dollars? No, this will be all department funds, which means basically booster and donor money. Um, so no, um, and I, I imagine it's going to be you know Casey Wasserman footing the bill in some 
capacity and maybe that'll involve some relationship with Mora or some working relationship. I don't know, but uh, no, this isn't going to be, this isn't going to be California tax sellers doing that. Um, if Cal did something similar, I don't think they have the booster resources, but UCLA has been fiscally very responsible um, in recent years, which allows them to make this kind of move. All right. So that was uh, kind of the news of the day uh, going around in the Pac-12. Should we uh, jump into the roundup, Dave? Let's do it. All right. So let's. Uh, this is our Pac-12 roundup. Good stuff. Um, so we're going to count down backwards, and we're going as we to, always do. Yeah, and we're going to recap all of the games uh, from Week Twelve. Um, we do our picks every week, Dave. I don't know. Do you remember this? I do. I have some recollection, even though it was very long ago now. We did do picks, and uh, um, I, I won this week, which was good. Uh, I don't. I don't recall that information. <laughs> I don't. That does not seem right. That doesn't check out. So we it was a pretty big turnaround. So I went four and one against the spread, and you went two and three. So mm. uh, that's that's good for me. Um, we are very close now in the overall. We're both above five hundred, which is nice. Uh, you're forty four and forty, and I'm forty three and forty one. So I'm just one game behind you now, and we have one regular season week left. So uh, I, I kind of like my big comeback here. It took all year, but I, I'm, I'm back. We are slightly better than a quarter flipping in the air. That is that is what we are. We were way better last year in our picks against the spread. Um, hey, you, you don't know. Maybe maybe we have a big week this week, and we both uh, both rise to like nine games over five hundred. You don't know. I like. Yeah, we got the bowl games and all that stuff too. So uh, we got the you know the Pac twelve championship game. We got bowl games. Um, so yeah, we'll 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 do our best um, to keep going. But let's. Uh, I guess we're going to start off, and it's, I don't know how many weeks in a row it's been, but for our number 12 team. Oregon State Beavers. And they were uh, hosting. Arizona State Sun Devils. Yeah, so this was one of the games you won that I didn't. Um, Oregon State has very obviously quit on its season. Um, <laughs> so say sayonara to the Corey Hall era. Um, Arizona State won 40-24. to not even at all reflective of what this game was. Arizona State beat the crap out of them. This was, I believe it was 30 to nothing at one point early in the game. Um, and that was, I mean, it was, yeah, it was 30 to nothing with 444 left in the second quarter. So, yeah. Uh, Oregon State looked like garbage offensively, garbage defensively. Um, they were just unable to do anything against an Arizona State team. That looked kind of bad the previous week against UCLA. Uh, Manny Wilkins looked great. Arizona State's rushing attack looked great. Um, this was a really, really nice win for the Sun Devils and uh, reflective of a program that's in dire need of a new direction uh, next season yeah, for I kinda, Oregon State. Yeah, you know, I kind of felt, Dave, that the Corey Hall effect was, was lasting a couple games, but then it sort of wore off, and there's just not – that moral victory thing coming, you know, four games later when you're losing all these games. And I got a little worried in the morning. I was watching College Game Day, and Chris Felica, the Bear, had picked Oregon State as one of his picks, and he's really been good against the spread this year. We communicate and stuff sometimes, but I'm like, you know what? I just think – and I didn't think ASU played that badly against UCLA. The one thing that stood out to me is that ASU converted half of their third downs against UCLA, and they still lost that game. I just felt they, and they they pretty much did the same thing. Um, second week in a row, they completed 50% on third down. But this time, it wasn't as good of an opponent. And this time, 
they won. So I was watching it early at home. This is the early game before I had to leave for the Coliseum. And ASU was already up 14 nothing, so I felt pretty good about it. And, uh, yeah, you know, Kalen Balage and Demario Richard both went over 100 yards rushing. Um, ASU didn't turn the ball over. And Oregon State had, I think, three turnovers, like a fumble and a couple of picks. So I felt pretty good about this one. I just, I just feel like Arizona State has played a lot better in the second half. They've had a couple lulls, but I just didn't think it was going to be a lull against Oregon State, who got a little bit high a few weeks ago, but I just haven't seen that same kind of height since. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair thing to say. I, I This was one of those things where I, it was like the effect <laughs> of watching Arizona State up close that I was just like the, the previous week that I was oh. just like, hmm, I'm not really trusting the ASU, but <laughs> they're clearly a much better team than Oregon State. Yeah, I think I did the same thing. I think maybe it was last year I saw ASU play USC in the Coliseum and like they were just garbage. And I was like, this is not, no. Um, yeah. It was, something, it was something like those lines. So the, yeah, sometimes you see them in person. But if you look at it like from a high point of like, you know, I think Todd Graham's got them playing a lot better. Now they're six and five, five and three. Uh, so they're they're going bowling. Um, Oregon State, not so much, one and ten. Oh, eight in conference, and they got to go to Eugene to take on the Ducks next week for the Civil War. So, probably not going to be good news. Not probably not ending on a high note. I would think. No, 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 no. This will be a this will be a solid one and eleven season for for the Beefs. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so next up, we have uh, number eleven, Colorado Buffaloes. They had a buy. So uh, yeah. Buff- great oh. job on that buy. Yeah. Great job on that buy. Don't you love taking a bye in week 12? Um, it's <laughs> That's the Pac-12. Uh, week 12 byes. You get all healed up for your last game. Um, okay, so now this is a team that dropped a little bit. We had, I think we had this team number six, now number 10. UCLA Bruins. And uh, they were in the Coliseum just across town to take on USC Trojans. Yeah, and the drop is more reflective of the fact that there is basically no separation from like five through like eleven than anything else. Um, UCLA actually played pretty competitively against USC to the point where I was. It made me even more stunned that they fired Jim Mora afterwards. Um, and that's not from like my perspective, just from the perspective of having watched UCLA a while. I thought this would be enough of a moral victory for the administration to say, "Oh yeah, we're giving him another year." Um, USC won twenty-eight twenty-three. Um, I think it was a really, really even game. Um, UCLA missed some opportunities, had some red zone chances that just didn't go their way. They threw a pick, um, on, basically on the goal line to in the into the end zone to Marvell Tell. They missed a field goal. Um, yeah, they just had some some missed opportunities. USC um, called a really weird offensive game, as we kind of speculated they might, um, where they. I mean, Sam Darnold just threw the ball way too much. Um, they should have been running it, even though it wasn't as successful um, as it, you know, as as it had been um, for previous teams against UCLA because UCLA was stacking the box and playing pretty aggressively. I still would have handed the ball to Ronald Jones at least 35 times. He only got 28 carries um, and was productive in those 28, 122 yards. Um, but I, I probably would have run the ball a lot more if I was USC, um, thrown the ball a lot less. I think the big takeaway for me was watching this game. Uh, Josh Rosen looks very ready for the NFL. Um, he was spectacular. Aside from that one interception to Marvell Tell, I thought he was the best player on the field. Um, but UCLA is just, I mean, their special teams, 
USC has bad special teams, and UCLA's special teams made them look like they were the <laughs> like like they were the freaking Virginia Tech Hokies from 2001. Um, so this was uh, this was an absurdly bad game for UCLA special teams. Um, if they had even average special teams, they would have won this game. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I've been pretty critical of USC special teams all year, um, and they come out with that. So I was watching. So I'm in the press box, and this is the punt. This, you know, there's no score in the game. It's kind of going back and forth. And uh, so UCLA punts the ball. And I, I commented to, I think it was Dan Weber next to me, hey, that's a really good punt because it was directional and it was all the way to the sideline. So it was going to be hard to kind of return. Like there wasn't a lot of space to move. So obviously the, you know, the coverage team would be kind of surrounding him there. And it would have been, it was kind of like pinning him in a corner. And I was like, well, that's a really good punt. Not realizing that all of the, the the punt coverage guys were running to the other side of the field, and uh, it was baffling to me that that happened. I'm like, wait, what's going on? Like, how is why is no one getting him? And you see, like, like really only the punter going after um, Michael Pittman, who you know returned it for a touchdown. And to me, it was like, okay, I get it's like a trick play, and you could sell it. Maybe you get a guy or two to to bite on it. Janie Harris was like the intended punt returner, but to me, there was so many things had to work right and had to be a lot of luck and really screw ups on the UCLA side to make it because like if you know where you're punting then that's where guys should be running right Dave I mean I don't get like it just seemed like it was, it was almost like the punter was in on it <laughs> like he was like hey I'm going to trick everybody I'm going to punt to the right and then I'm supposed to be punting to the left and uh it, w- it was just a really weird thing to me it just it seemed like it seemed like it shouldn't have worked as well as it did yeah it, I mean it speaks to just really I mean, I think generally piss poor coaching um, on UCLA's standpoint. I mean, they had the directional kick to the right. Like the the punter explained it later. He was like, yeah, we were kicking to the right. And then after the punt, I'm supposed to yell which direction it is. And I'm yelling right. But everyone sees um, Harris back there going to the left. So everyone followed him to the left. And the the gunner who's supposed to cover the right-hand side also went to the left. So wow, uh, it, was a, it was a huge bust um, for no apparent reason besides, you know, these guys just – I mean, I always blame coaching because, I mean, when 11 guys are not doing the right thing and they've been bad all year um, on punt coverage, on kick coverage, in every aspect of special teams, at a certain level, that just has to go on the coaches. Yeah. That's not – I mean, when special teams is bad, I've made this point before, when Washington State – was having horrible special teams two years ago. That's on coaching. That's not players. Special teams is that one area where you can really tell like which head coaches are paying attention and which aren't. And so the fact that special teams went bad the last three years for UCLA is an underappreciated reason why UCLA now has a coaching vacancy. The uh, a lot of the stats were kind of interesting. Uh, UCLA had more first downs than USC twenty eight to twenty four. Um, UCLA had been given up 300 yards rushing. Uh, USC only got 153 yards rushing. Penalties, there was quite a few of those. 12 for UCLA for 100, 11 for USC for 115. That was very Pac-12 refs things going on. Um, And I thought UCLA did a really good job. Third and fourth down combined 11 of 20. Um, USC was 2 of 10 on third down and only 1 of 2 on fourth down. So it was... uh, yeah, it was one of those things where it, you know, UCLA played well enough to win this game, and USC just was kind of not playing all that well, and you know, seemed like they were in control most of the game, but really, it was just, you know, it was UCLA's for the taking. 
just so many mistakes on both sides. And um, yeah, USC just kind of made a play at the end to win it. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment of the game. Cool. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's move on. So that was our number 10 team. So of, uh, at number nine, we have California Golden Bears. And this was big game. They were on the road at Stanford Cardinal. In the big game, uh, Stanford big game. Just, beat Cal. Just, just big game. In, in, in the big game. Um, <laughs> we, we do articles here in Southern California. Um, whatever Northern California wants to do. I believe in articles. Uh, Stanford won 17-14. So at the same time that a pretty dramatic um, crosstown rivalry was going on, in SoCal, um, this was another pretty dramatic game. Obviously, lower scoring, 17-14, but um, this one was, I mean, it was a close game. Again, Stanford seems to be finding itself as that kind of grinded-out um, team that everyone thinks of when they think of Stanford. Um, and they were able to kind of just kill this game in the fourth quarter. Um, neither team scored over the last, I mean, whatever it was, the last, let's see. The, the final points in this game came with 4.02 to go in the third quarter. So, yeah. yeah. And, um, I mean, the final real try for, for Cal was um, Ross Bowers throwing deep to Ben Edwards um, and picked off at the, uh, at the, I think it was like the Stanford 6, 5 or 6 yard line. Um, and that was pretty much all she wrote at that point. Um, and then Stanford possessed the ball for like the final like eight minutes of the game so (laughs) um it was uh this was this was uh i I think you know with a rivalry game you throw out kind of all the like stuff that came before it was a nice win for stanford uh kj costello did not play his best game but he was still competent um stanford's rushing attack was not as great as it had been in previous games but it was enough and cal played really well um i thought ross bowers i mean the, the the interception at the end that's that's a that's a busted play. That sucked. But um, I thought he played well. He played well enough for them to be in this game. Cal's rushing attack was pretty good. Um, just not quite enough at the end. But um, playing a three-point game, competitive game, I mean, it's not much solace to Cal, which I think has lost like eight straight in this rivalry. But um, it was a competitive game. And uh, Stanford's now 8-3. and three, uh, Not quite in control of its own destiny, destiny in the Pac-12, but is in position to win it if Washington can win the Apple Cup on, uh, on Saturday. Yeah, this is uh, so. This one started at the same time, like you said, as USC UCLA. So I had, I had like my tablet to my right of my computer in the press box that had Arizona and Oregon on it, and then I had my phone up on a little tripod, and I was watching this one, and uh, you know, so Cal and Stanford, and it was such a Stanfordish game. Like Stanford doesn't always play those kind of games, but when they do, it's like, oh, this is so Stanford. Like you said. Just taking the air out of the ball in the fourth quarter, um, you know. You know, I think Stanford got the ball back after the interception. There was like six or seven minutes left, and they just basically ran the clock out. So Bowers had a, a shot there at the end. It was an unfortunate interception. Um, yeah, I guess it was like you know late middle of the the fourth quarter. And once Stanford got the ball back, even without, um, so I guess they had Scarlett in there. I think he ran like seven or eight straight times. Uh, Bryce Love got hurt again. He had over 100 yards, but ended up getting hurt. Um, Patrick Laird, the former uh, walk-on, 20 carries, 157 yards, and a touchdown for Cal. Um, I thought that was pretty impressive. But it was pretty – a lot of the stats were even in this game too. Like it was uh, – both teams had uh, just under six, 5.9 yards per play. Um, 
you know, Laird got the better of, of Love, but, you know, Love ended up coming out of the game. Uh, both teams were, you know, 50% on third down, 6 of 12. I, I thought there'd be a little bit more scoring with that kind of success, but Stanford really kind of shortened the game there, and uh, it was weird. I mean, one of the stats that I thought was interesting, you know, the Cal defense, I thought we've been playing pretty well this year. They didn't have a single tackle for loss, so Stanford never got tackled behind the line of scrimmage. They were just kind of plodding forward and plodding forward, and it was just one of those David Shaw kind of moments um, where they just weren't going to make mistakes. They just kept moving forward. They would pick up a first down here and there, run some clock, score when they had to, and just never and and when it mattered at the end, they just didn't give the ball back to Cal and ended the game. Yeah, and um, I I think we do have to shout out even more Cameron Scarlett, um, who hadn't really played well this season, but he came up big on that final drive, just repeatedly converting, 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 um, and just keeping that Cal offense off the field. I mean, to hold the ball, Cal uh, Stanford is one of the few teams in the country that can do this, but to hold the ball for nearly eight minutes and not score is like fundamentally crazy um and stanford is kind of rounding into form maybe not the team we expected them to be this year but they're ending up as kind of the like in your mind's eye the quintessential stanford team at the end of the year here where they they'll grind you um their defense will do enough to stop you and they're just going to grind the life out of you with their offense and i think that's um that's that's We'll see how they do against Notre Dame, but it's carried them to uh, eight and three right now. Which I think at the beginning of the year, if you told me they'd be eight and three right now, I probably wouldn't be surprised. But um, still, it was uh, it was touch and go there for a bit. They've now rounded nicely into form. Yeah. So with with the win, that eliminates Washington. Um, so Washington was not able to, uh, or is not going to be able to win the Pac-12 North this year. Uh, Cal still needs a win um, to become bowl eligible. And we'll talk about this in a little bit, but there's two teams that are sitting five and six, Cal and UCLA. And I don't want to spoil anything, but Dave, I think they play each other. So that that's like a bowl, bowl eligibility game. It's a bowl off. Yeah. It's a bowl off. It's going to be, it's going to be passionate. There's going to be fire on the field. No one's going to care. Two, <laughs> two teams, same fight song, all that kind of fun stuff. Okay. Yeah. On a Friday after uh, Thanksgiving, no one's going to care. Uh, we care, Dave. This is what we do. We care. Um, we care. Okay. And you care. If you're listening to this, you care. You do care. Uh, all right. So that was, uh, let's go to number eight. Our number eight team is Utah Utes. And they were on the road. This was the nightcap and uh, a thriller of a game taking on Washington Huskies. <laughs> all right. I, I felt really sad for Utah here. Um, Very. So. Washington won 33-30. Uh, Utah had a very late lead. Um, they were up 30-23 to uh, with, was it, yeah, it was like two minutes to go in this game. Yes. They had a 30-23 lead. Um, and at that point, you've got to be expecting, if you're a Utah fan, you're probably like, damn, we're going to do this because there's no way Jake Browning is going to lead Washington down the field in a critical moment in a big game. He just hasn't done it ever. And then, of course, he leads them down the field and, like, makes some throws, too. It wasn't like they just, like, randomly started running the ball. He made some great throws on that drive, led him down the field in a minute for a touchdown. And then uh, Washington got uh, kicked off to to Utah and then um, used up their timeouts, got the ball back with, what was it, 29 seconds to go. 
Yeah. And then Kyle Whittingham makes maybe the most critical mistake um, of his tenure at Utah where Washington runs the ball on first down and is clearly just trying to like get this to overtime, and Utah calls a timeout. Um, I think one of two timeouts they might have had left. And it was interesting because – so they couldn't have stopped Washington from just running out the clock. But what it did was put Washington in the position where, okay, well, the clock stopped. Let's, let's try to do some stuff. Um, and then uh, Browning completed a ball to Dante Pettis for 18 yards and then another one to Andre Baselia for 31 yards, got it down to the Utah 21. They kicked the field goal and win the game in regulation. I thought it was I thought it was stupid at the time, like literally as he was calling the penalty uh, as he was calling the timeout, I was like, "Oh no, don't do that." You I mean, just to make him snap the ball a couple more times, don't yeah, do that. Yeah. No. Yeah, I thought it was terrible. Um and it's unfortunate because Utah had this game uh if the, the so let's look at the fourth quarter. Well, it's, it's funny. Okay, so Jake Browning, we got to give credit to him and yeah. I thought old the, noodle arm really really uh he, he came positively al dente there for a little bit he firmed <laughs> up so I thought the very first play of the game he threw to Pettis for 40 yards and uh, I was like that's he's just trolling us at this point like that's all that was like he was just gonna kind of troll us throwing for 40 yards on the first play of the game uh but he had a huge you know obviously a huge a huge day um Washington didn't go three and out the entire game so that's pretty crazy. And if you look at the last three drives, so he had three drives in the fourth quarter. His first drive, when they got the ball, I think it was like 10 minutes left in the fourth, 14 plays, 61 yards, uh, took up six six minutes, 15 seconds of the game. Now Browning ended up trying to run for it on fourth and long, and he fell short by a couple of yards. And it was kind of like reminiscent of you know, the, mm-hmm. the last game where it was like fourth and 21 or something he ran there. But that was a really impressive drive in the fourth quarter. It kind of wasted a lot of time. They didn't get any points, but you know they get the ball back. They get a nine-play, sixty-one-yard uh, touchdown drive that only took over just over a minute, a minute and five seconds. And you're like, wow! So that's like where his noodle arm turned al dente. Then the the five-play, fifty-one-yard drive that took twenty-nine seconds. You're like wondering how the hell did did Washington get the ball back this quickly, and how the hell this guy was Whittingham called timeouts. It just seemed improbable. And this was like happening on my drive home and I'm trying to get updates. I'm like, what is going on? When I'd left the press box, Utah was up by uh, seven and Washington ends up winning. Like hats off to them. Now I knew I was going to cut. I picked Utah. I was going to cover this game because it was like a 17 and a half point spread, but I never thought Washington was going to win this one late. And it was all happening. I was trying to get updates as I was driving home, but it was kind of crazy to me. Yeah, this was this was insane to watch, and it was like the final. I mean, I'm up like this is at like one in the mornings, and I'm like starting like you know think about well, what's UCLA going to do this week? I'm still thinking Jim Moore is going to be the head coach, and so I'm like half watching this, and then it starts to get crazy there at the end, and it was just, I mean, it was it was like he was exactly it was like he was just sticking his thumb in our eye, like he was he was <laughs> he as much as said after the game, this is directed at. The podcast champion. <laughs> I heard that. I don't know if you did, but I, I, heard I missed that, that one. Yeah, that, I yeah. believe you though. That's great. Yeah, uh, but no, uh, we. I mean, if, if he if he does this again, like say the Apple Cup goes Washington's way, and he's a big reason why, we might. I mean, are we going to have to retire Noodle Arm? Is is he going to move <laughs> his way up into the top eight of factual? He very well could. I was. 
<laughs> he was uh, he was thirteen of twenty for one hundred thirty six yards in the fourth quarter. Uh, I thought he played really well. Um, and you know, we the criticisms we've had were that Jake Browning wasn't going to take a team on his back and and deliver a win, and that's exactly what he did in this game. So it was great to see. We just haven't seen it, you know, very often, if at all. So uh, it's great to see that he's able to do that. Um, he, you know, he's not asked to do it all the time at Washington, and a lot of times when we've seen him have those opportunities, they didn't come through. He came through in this one, but you got to feel like on the Utah side is like, man, what do you got to do to get a win here? Uh, that was that was just rough. Yeah, and now it leaves them in position where they've got to fight for bowl eligibility this week. Yeah, so they're they're another five and six team. Um, shout out to uh, Washington's kicker Viscaino. Um, he's been booed. He's a senior booed. Bench. Yeah, he's had a rough year. Yeah, and uh, ends up being the hero hitting that that one. Um, Jojo McIntosh got ejected for targeting, but it looked like a pretty good hit to me. I don't know if did you see that one or what was the? Yeah, I, I saw it. I th- thought it was. I, I thought it was in that middle ground. Okay. Um, I, I was I was fine with it. I also could have been fine with not calling it, but yeah, I, I'm not. I don't get too excited about the targeting stuff. I think it was clearly one of those. If they do go to a, like a flagrant one, flagrant two system, it makes more sense as a flagrant one. Um, but you know, that's that's the rules of the game right now. So I, I don't get too excited about it. I know the head injury thing is such a big deal, and um, you know, as much as we can do to prevent that, that would be great. But yeah, I, I thought it was an iffy call. And then uh, Azim Victor ended up getting a DUI, and uh, he was suspended. So uh, there, I guess Chris Peterson left uh, the door open. He could potentially come back. So maybe he's available for the Apple Cup. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, that's a you know key defender for Washington that was not available. Yep. Um, okay, so that's cool. So nice win for Washington. Uh, they were eliminated still from the, from the race, but... Um, good win, and of course they can be the spoiler in the Apple Cup, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Our number seven team, Arizona Wildcats. Uh, they were on the road. Uh, another Arizona team up in the state of Oregon taking on Oregon Ducks. All right, so this was kind of the uh, the first moment where Khalil Tate's looked a little bit mortal. Um, Oregon won forty eight twenty eight. And there were two notes from this game. One, uh, Arizona's rushing attack definitely struggled against that Oregon rush defense, which has been good all year. Um, and Arizona's rushing attack has been good all year. But in this game, uh, definitely went Oregon's way. Khalil Tate was bottled up the entire game. The other big note is when Justin Herbert is playing, Oregon is really, really, really good. Um, he wasn't even spectacular in this game, but if you were watching – he just gives them another dimension. I mean, he can – he's just so much more decisive, first, running the ball, and second, he can actually make throws downfield. And when you compare him to a guy like Braxton Burmeister, who really isn't either, he's not decisive running, can't make throws downfield, it's just stunning what this offense looks like when you actually um, have multi-dimensions to it. Um, Oregon would have been a different team all year if Herbert had been playing. I don't know if it would have changed their record hugely because they did get blown out in a bunch of games. But I think they certainly would have beaten UCLA. They would have been much, much, much more competitive against Washington State, Stanford, and Washington. And who knows, maybe they'd be competing for the North right now. But it was a nice win. And, uh, you know, I I don't think you take anything away from Arizona. They weren't good in this game. Cleo Tate had his first really bad game as a starter. 
Um, just didn't look great running the ball. Didn't look, you know, super good passing the ball. He threw two picks. Um, but Arizona's going to be fine. I think they'll, you know, we'll talk about the ASU game this week, but I think they'll beat ASU. I think they'll get to 8-4. and four. And a year after going 2-10, and 10, I think everybody in Tucson's going to take that. Um, and the, the future, I think, is pretty bright there with, with Tate only being a sophomore. Yeah, this is uh, – I thought it was interesting. It started off early. I think the Ducks uh, came to play. They got a big kickoff return, but the drive ends up stalling. Um, Arizona drove right down the field, and they scored easily. Uh, but then it became like kind of a back-and-forth thing early. Like Herbert had that long run for a touchdown, so like, okay, he's back. Um, and Arizona, unfortunately for Arizona, their punting game is so terrible. Oh, yeah. Just, they just cannot punt the football. So it kind of gave Oregon some good field position. But They tried three different punters in this one. Oof. That three. Was, yeah. Um, and the, the long the long punt for the three of them over six punts was 38 yards. Didn't they have, they did like a quick kick, I think, or something too. So maybe like the quarterback, like like he was the better punter. That might've been the long one. <laughs> yeah. I think it was Trevor Wood. Okay. Wasn't it Trevor Wood who, who went back there and, and kicked it? Oh, maybe that remember. was it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Arizona had a pick six negated for targeting. I mean, not for targeting, for uh, taunting. Um, they end up scoring anyway, but did you see that one where the guys like, Oh yeah. And it was an incredible return. If he hadn't been such an idiot and like started wagging his finger and frankly, they got a good spot on that because he started wagging his finger at like the 30 yard line because he, you know, had driven past everyone by that point. Yeah. And they spotted it at like the 12 or something. So it was fine. But um, if they'd spotted that correctly, it would have been like 30 more yards they would have had to go, which would have been a disaster. Yeah. And it because it because the Arizona offense just was not did not look the same. You felt like I think against USC a couple weeks back that they just weren't going early and then eventually Tate caught fire like in the second half. He just never caught fire in this one. And, you know, Oregon had a bye playing at home. They looked really good coming off the bye. And, of course, Herbert coming back. Uh, Tate had only ended up with 32 yards rushing. Um, obviously, the way this Arizona team is playing, you got to get more than that or it's just not going to be effective. Herbert ended up rushing for more yards. If That's crazy. Like, what would the odds of that been? He had four for for 40 yards plus Brooks James and Freeman both went over 100 yards and Oregon ended up having 588 total yards of offense to 330 for Arizona so it's just you kind of felt that you know there it was a back and forth early Dave but then Oregon just kind of took command and nothing just seemed to work for Arizona just that that 65 yard run that would you throw in every once in a while that kind of gets the momentum going it just never materialized yeah just no explosive plays for Arizona their most explosive play was that interception return I mean they they just weren't able to generate much and I think you've got to give credit Oregon's defense is going to be really good next year uh, because Jim Levitt is already making his stamp on that program limiting an offense as explosive as Arizona's and you know they still generated some yards but limiting what they really love to do which is just have those like you know, three-yard gain, three-yard gain, 60-yard gain. And instead of a 60-yard gain, it was now like a 10-yard gain. Um, just consistently limiting those explosive plays to, you know, good gains, but not, you know, something that's going to, you know, blow the top off the defense. They just, um, they were really disciplined and good, and I think that speaks well to what Oregon's going to do in the future. And, you know, the future, I think, is, is pretty bright there. Justin Herbert is, you know, he's he's got years left. Um, and if he stays healthy, uh, that offense should be good next year, and the defense, I think, will be uh, will be a strength. 
so this was a pick 'em game, and this is the only one we both got wrong. The only one I got wrong uh, for the week. So we both took Arizona. Thought they'd play well. The Justin Herbert factor was uh, way bigger than that. Coming off the bye week, um, Oregon just looked like a way better team. So uh, I, I feel bad. Oregon State's like getting Oregon, like probably at the absolute worst time. Oh but yeah, what are you going to do? It's it's sad. It's yeah. sad, but it's going to happen. Yeah. All right. So that's the the five games. We'll go down the uh, rest of the power rankings because we've talked about all these teams already. Uh, number six, we had Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> so they look pretty good, even though it was, uh, you know, it was against Oregon State, but still, you know, thought they looked all right. Uh, we bumped up to number five because basically because of the Herbert factor. Oregon Ducks. <laughs> And then our top four stays the same. Number four, we still have Washington Huskies. And number three continues to be Stanford Cardinal. Number two, the team that controls its own destiny in the north. Washington State Cougars. And still number one, USC Trojans. Woo! Woo! So that's, uh, yeah. So that's all the uh, the games that we talked about. Uh, it'll be USC representing the South and either Washington State or Stanford representing the North. Uh, Friday night in Santa Clara, Dave. Woo hoo! You gonna fly That'd out? You gonna fly out for that one? Not a chance. <laughs> Not a chance. If it was in Vegas, and this is the biggest argument, I think in favor of moving it immediately to Vegas when that UNLV UNLV stadium opens up. I would 100% go. Yeah. 100% or the Raiders stadium I should call it. Uh, I I'm I'm 100% going to go to every single one of those even if like UCLA is not playing. All right. Um I yeah, do I do the same thing. Okay, so let's see. So that is our uh week 12 recap. Now we're going to jump into the games for week 13. We'll go in order uh in which they're played. Hopefully I get the order right. I think I screwed up one of the games last week. Um, but we do have a Friday night game, Dave, and this is, uh, you know, one of those rivalries, the in-state rivalries we have. California Golden Bears. They're going to be on the road taking on UCLA Bruins. All right, so this game is on at 7.30 p.m. the day after Thanksgiving, 10.30 my time, so I'm going to want to die. Uh, California <laughs> going to UCLA on FS1. UCLA is without its head coach. Uh, Jed Fish, the offensive coordinator, is taking over for this week of prep and this football game. Uh, both of these teams are coming off disappointing losses uh, to their rival. Both are playing on six days rest. UCLA is favored by seven. Um, so there's a few streaks at play here. One, UCLA has not won a conference regular season game played after USC in their last four tries, dating back to 2001. Two, UCLA has not won its conference home closer its final conference home game um in the mora era now this isn't the mora era anymore but it needs to be said but on the flip side uh no pac 12 team has won the friday road game after playing the previous saturday this season so one way or another some long streak is going to end in this one ucla is favored by seven i think it's going to be one of those bouncy games for ucla where they're going to play kind of with some abandon um, they're going to want to uh, put on a show after their coach got fired. It seems like a lot of the players are pretty upset about it, and they're going to want to 
I think, show out pretty well. So I'm going to take UCLA minus the seven. I think California might have shot its wad a little bit. They haven't been as good on the road this year, um, and UCLA has been a much better home team. So uh, give me UCLA. I think they cover the seven. I think this could be a, a nice a nice final win for UCLA to get them to bowl eligibility. I think I'm going to agree with you there, Dave. I think a lot of times you see a coach get fired, and uh, you you know we've seen Oregon State kind of get fired up after that. And if we look at the so here Cal's last uh, so they they kept it close with Stanford uh, this past weekend, but of course you got to go on the road. And then on the road on a Friday, so it's going to be tough. It's not that really on the road to Stanford because they can drive. Uh, they got pre- beat pretty badly at Colorado back in Week Nine. Um, they got beat badly at Washington in Week Six. They got beat badly on the road at Oregon in Week Five. And uh, the the only so they have they're o they're o for the conference on the road. They did beat North Carolina on the road, but that was way back in Week One. Um, so I'm going to take UCLA and North Carolina. I'm sorry. And North Carolina is currently three and eight. Just you know, oh, throwing that out there. Okay, yeah. So there's that. Um, and it, you know, it's funny. I forgot to mention this when we did the recap. My intern Keely, your uh, tweeted this out. Um, I believe it was the last three uh, UCLA head coaches were fired within 48 hours of losing to USC. Is that does that seem yeah. right? That seems right. But it's worth noting that um, this is a rarity because. That was that also coincided with the final regular season game of the year. Um, each of those three other times, this is the first year where Guerrero has fired a guy with a regular season game remaining. Okay, I thought there was one where there was like a Washington State game afterwards or something uh, against. So with Rick Neuheisel, uh, they fired him after USC and before the Pac-12 title game in 2011 which UCLA went into because USC was ineligible. Oh, gotcha. So there was okay. still a game remaining, but it wasn't a regular season Okay. Game. And then, like, with Bob Toledo, it was, like... The Vegas Bowl. Okay. He, okay. He had lost to USC, but there was Vegas Bowl. Okay. Yeah. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. Okay, so we both pick uh, UCLA there. Next up, um, we like this one. We like this one. This is going to be... Arizona Wildcats. <laughs> On the road at Arizona State Sun Devils. So what's this one called? The Territorial Cup, is the that right? Territorial Cup, yes. Yeah, it's a good name. I love that. Um, Arizona going at Arizona State. This one is on at 1.30 p.m.? Does that sound right? Uh, yeah. I'm trying go. to do the math in my head because I'm stupid. Uh, yeah. 1.30 so p.m., yes. On 1.30 p.m. Network. Yeah. Uh, on the Pac-12 Network. Uh, this is a pick'em, an absolute pick'em. Arizona going on the road, so that means on a neutral site they'd probably be favored by three, which makes some sense. Um, Arizona State uh, doesn't have a quality about them that I consider uh, good. I think they've been perfectly average-ish, um, kind of across the board. They've been a little bit better of late, but when you look at that team, defense isn't great, offense isn't great. They've just been kind of middling. Arizona has an elite offense, despite what it looked like against Oregon last week. Arizona State really can't compare from a run defense perspective to Oregon. Um, I think Arizona's going to get back to being a a little bit more of that Khalil Tate show in this game. Um, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. These rivalry games tend to be competitive. um, But I think I like Arizona to win on the road here. Yeah, man, pick them. It's tough. Um, I kind of feel in Arizona, too. I think they'll bounce back a little bit. The ASU run defense... I think you can. There's going to be a lot more spots for Khalil Tate to make things happen, 
But I think that, you know, I think Arizona State's their run the the run game. I think Wilkins can can play pretty well. I would not be shocked if ASU wins this one, but my gut is that Arizona kind of bounced back after a, a really tough one. Now both teams are bowl eligible, so it's not like there's anything on the line. Where, where like we mentioned earlier, Cal and UCLA, that's to make a bowl game, right? Um, this one's more about pride, uh, rivalry. I don't think like Todd Graham's job is in jeopardy. At least I don't think so. Um, obviously, Rich Rod has uh, turned things around for Arizona. A little bit of a hiccup uh, in Eugene, but I think Arizona does bounce back. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, ASU's rush defense, I just looked it up. Um, they're 103rd in the country in rush attempt and yards per rush attempt at 5.1. So not quite Colorado or UCLA bad, but pretty freaking bad. Pretty bad. Uh, yeah, so Tate and... Uh, <laughs> That crew should do pretty well. Okay, this one, uh, they like to call this one the Civil War, and we, we feel really bad for our number 12 team. Oregon State Beavers. Uh, on the road at Oregon Ducks. All right, so this game is on at 4 p.m. Oregon State going on the road to Oregon. This one's on ESPN2. Uh, Oregon is a 26-point favorite. Um, now it's worth noting that Oregon State, I believe, won this game last year. I believe that's correct. I think so. Yeah. Let me let, let me just make sure of this because I do absolutely no research before these games, and I just go completely off the dome. Yeah, they won thirty-four uh, yeah, twenty-four. They won thirty-four twenty-four last season. Um, now this isn't last year's Oregon State team, which looks like it was peaking at the right time. Uh, they look like they are quitting hard on the season, but rivalry games are weird. Um, the issue for me is Oregon is a very different team with Justin Herbert. Um, Oregon State's been a very different team on the road than at home. I mean, not very different. They're still losing all their games, but they've been less competitive on the road <laughs> than at home. Um, so I think it's a lot of points, 26 points. Um, but I think this Oregon offense with um, with Justin Herbert at the helm, with that rushing attack against a very bad rush defense, and Oregon's defense seeming to gel at the right time. I think this could be an ugly blowout. I've got the Ducks winning by like five touchdowns. Yeah, same thing here. It's uh, it's Oregon State doesn't cover a lot of spreads. Uh, I you know I felt pretty confident last week, even at home, uh, that they wouldn't be able to cover. This is on the road, and you're playing the red hot Ducks. It's not like Herbert's been doing well all season. They're gonna like sit him in the you know beginning of the third quarter. Like they're gonna let him play. <laughs> And, oh, yeah. and let things happen. Freeman is probably going to run for all of the yards. And, uh, you know, Ryan Nall probably get some good stuff going on. It, you know, I, I, but it, it's just not going to be pretty. This is, there's revenge. Like you said, they they lost last, last year. Um, they don't like losing to Oregon State. And Oregon State was playing well at the end of the year. They are not playing well now. Oregon is. Um, four touchdowns seems like a lot, but. Yeah, I, I, I think it's at least that, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, this one, um, we, Dave, you want to do, you do like your Irish thing? Do you want to do? Sure, 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 sure. Okay. Uh, Notre Dame with the Irish, I, I got nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the Notre Dame fighting. Me potter, me potter gold. <laughs> Whatever. Get your lucky charms out. They're on the road, taking yeah. on. Stanford Cardinal. Um, I'm still recovering. 
horrible. <laughs> I, I've got to do better next time. That was that was awful. At least you're trying. Uh, this like, is I on at 5 try. p.m. Yeah, yeah whatever. I, at least I tried. That's true. Um, this is on at 5 p.m. on ABC. Notre Dame going at Stanford. Notre Dame is a two-and-a-half-point road favorite. Uh, Bryce Love's status, I think, is still questionable. I think he's going to play. Um, you know, he, his ankle is just dinged up, but I think I think he wants to play at this point. Um, Notre Dame hasn't been great of late. Uh, they went to the wire with Navy last week, and this isn't one of the best Navy teams of recent years. Um, and interestingly, Navy was able to ball control this game. Um, they kept Notre Dame's offense off the field for long stretches. Um, didn't generate that much on the ground. It was like 72 carries for 277 yards, so not a great yards per rush attempt. <laughs> But they were able to maintain possession. Kind of gave, I think, Stanford a blueprint for how to attack this Notre Dame team, which is just keep that offense off the field. Um, uh, I, I don't know how I feel about it. I think Notre Dame is a better team than Stanford. Um, but it is at home for Stanford, where Stanford has been better this year, as we talked about up top. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll take Stanford. I'll take Stanford to win. Uh, plus two and a half. Yeah, I'm. Damn, I wanted you to pick Notre Dame there, but yeah, I'm, we're, we're the podcast of champions. I'm not picking Notre Dame against Stanford. Come on, David Shaw. Um, I don't like Stanford covering point spreads, but uh, and we were right in the last game. Uh, you know, we took Cal last week. Um, Cal ended up covering the spread, but you know they're a home dog, and Notre Dame's not been all that good. They looked really good against USC, and since then it's like, eh. Not so much. Um, the Navy body blow theory can kind of come into play. Like it's not good to you got to play Navy and then you got to go on the road and travel to the West Coast. So I like Stanford's chances in this one to to win outright. Um, so I'm going to take the Stanford Cardinal and uh, right. David Shaw and his boys. Yeah, yeah, and neither of us feel good about it, but we're going to do it. Yeah. Um, now this one, I think they call it like the Orange Bowl or like the Banana. Squeeze like split or what? Do you remember? I forget what they call this one. Ah, uh, man, it's like um, the cider off. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I just can't. The crapple, the crapple <laughs> cup. That's right. That's right. Of this course, is, we're talking about the apple cup. Right. The best. This is the best game of the weekend. So we have Washington State Cougars <laughs> going to Seattle, driving across the state to take on Washington Huskies. So this one's on opposite Stanford Notre Dame. So the two, you know, two of the most watchable games of the day for the Pac-12 at least are going to be on right at the same time, which is just great. Love awesome. Um, on Big Fox, uh, Washington State going at Washington. Uh, Washington's favored by nine points. Um, this is a team that just went to the wire with Utah at home. Now, Jake Browning did did firm up his arm in that game. You know, they, left it, in the, they left it in the pot the exact right amount of time going <laughs> into that game. And maybe they've figured out a recipe uh, for making sure his arm is firm at the end of football games. Uh, Washington State, though, has had a really good defense all year. Uh, um, their offense has been eh, iffy at times, but their defense has been really good. Um, they could really get after Jake Browning in this one. I wouldn't be shocked if they have, you know, four or five sacks. Um, I don't know how I feel about Washington State to win, but I think I like them plus nine. I think there's not that much difference between these two teams, certainly not nine points. 
Damn it, Dave. I was hoping you'd take the – yeah, Washington State wins this game, so I'm taking them the win. They'll definitely Damn. Yeah. Damn. Calling his shot, Ryan yeah. Abraham. <laughs> I think the Cougs – I think the Cougs do it. Now, do you know what the Cougs did this last week? They rested. They had a bye. Uh, they, they, they rested themselves. And Washington had to play every minute of a tough game against Utah. Yeah. Now, now it's at home. Uh, we saw Oregon play really well coming off their bye. I kind of think Washington State will do the same thing. They've not fared well in the Apple Cup, but I think Mike Leach gets it done here. I think so too. I think I think I, I think you've convinced me to take them outright. I think we're both picking the Cougs. Yeah. So obviously, and then the, they'll represent the North. They will. So if the Cougs represent the North, then then the funny part is with the whole Pac-12 stupid scheduling is. So say Washington State does that, like they. They go on the road. They beat Washington for the first time in like five years or whatever. They win the North. Amazing accomplishment. Well, they'd had to go a road game and then a short week Friday night road game to take on USC, who's off a bye. So it's like that's the, that's your that's your reward. That's what you get. So yeah, and I, wasn't there a thing that Clay Helton is really horrible off of a bye week though? Like he's really bad when he has time to like rest his players because he doesn't like use the time wisely. I, I remember that going into like bull prep. I'd have to look at that. First year. Yeah. They, well, they were really bad their first, his first year for the Holiday Bowl against Wisconsin. Like they didn't practice hardly at all, um, and they're pretty much taking the week off. And I, you know, I'm not blaming him. I, I, you know, I can be critical and stuff, but the 12 weeks in a row, you talk to a lot of the players. Like they've never done that in their lives. Like no one. Like when would you play 12 football games in a row? Like you've never done that before. So I get it. So they're going to get some time off get Thanksgiving off, and then they'll just have kind of like a regular week of practice. So we'll see what happens there. See if it ends up being an advantage. Uh, now, this one, I honestly don't remember. I We probably talked about this last year. Do you remember what this one's called, Dave? It's, do we I have, don't even know if it's called anything. I don't yet. know if we have a name for it. Um, it's like you know our mountain schools that like to play each other. It is. Colorado Buffaloes. On the road at Utah Utes. So this is another bowl off. Yes. Uh, Colorado going at Utah in Salt Lake City. Um, this one is the nightcap to the day at 7 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. Utah is favored by 10 and one-half points. Oh. Um, that seems like a brutal amount of points for Utah to cover a game by. Um, but Colorado has really kind of ended the year a little bit rough. Uh, they've lost three of their last four. The only win was a home win over Cal. They got shut out by Washington State in a monsoon. They lost on the road to ASU, and then they lost by a couple of touchdowns to USC. Um, that said, I don't I mean, I mean, don't know how I feel about Utah covering a double-digit point spread. They've got to be feeling a little bit let down after that Washington loss, um, giving up that touchdown and then that field goal late. Um, I I, I just it's this is one where it's kind of tough to judge the psyche of the teams. Colorado's coming off a bye. They've got bowl eligibility in their sights. I haven't loved the way they've played this year. I haven't loved kind of the you know just the vibe you get off that team. They haven't looked as supremely motivated as they looked last year. But even still, ten and a half points feels like a lot. I'll take Colorado to cover that. I'm not taking them to win, but I'll take them to cover that. And I think Utah gets bowl eligible, but more of a narrow win. I really have no clue on this one. Um, I've liked the way Utah's been playing. 
and I we've picked the exact same games the whole time. Um, I'm going to take Utah in this one just to go opposite. So, so either at the end of the the end of the day, Dave, you'll have a two game lead on me, or we'll be tied. So I kind of like that. So the nightcap that'll decide it all. Uh, I thought Utah. I know you could be demoralized after that game at Washington, but because this is a bowl off, you know, because it's one of those where hey, you can turn a a, a five and six. You, you want to be five and seven, or do you want to be six and six and make a bowl game? I think they'll be motivated. I think Tyler Huntley will play well, and uh, Utah will win by all right somehow eleven. <laughs> I don't feel really good about this, Dave, but I I, I need to go something different. So I'm going to take I'll take Utah. That makes sense. All right, should we get to some questions? Let's jump into the questions. All right, do you want me to do an email? First, we got a voicemail. What do you want to do? Uh, yeah, let's start with a voicemail. I mean, I'm sorry. Let's start with an email, and then we'll jump into the voicemail a little bit later. All right. This is Matt from Whittier. Hey, guys. Looks like the Pac-12 got the message, and at least nobody has back-to-back road games with a Friday night thrown in. But ouch for USC at Stanford, Texas, and then Friday against Wazoo. Looks like another difficult September for the Trojans, most likely breaking in a new QB. The Cardinal, at least on offense, and Longhorns should be greatly improved. Good chance SC is 1-3 and three in September. Thoughts? I don't know about good chance. There's a chance. I mean, these are it's not easy opponents they're playing, but um, I, I don't know about 1-3. and three. I mean, uh, at this point, it looks likely that Sam Darnold's going to return. I mean, after Kirk Herbstreit gave him the ringing endorsement of, damn, this dude needs to have another year in college football, I think he's going to get the hint, even if he didn't already get it, but... I, I think they'll be minimum two and two during that stretch, but certainly it's it's more competitive games than you'd like to open up the season. Yeah, that's so far away. Like, and if Darnold doesn't come back, then all bets are off there. But that's a that's going to be a really, obviously a really tough uh, stretch. So we'll see. I mean, this is a team that's not always looked great, but they they win a bunch of the games, you know. So they could go three and one fairly easily, I would think. But you know, we'll see. They, one and three is certainly on the table with that stretch. Yeah, and then he has got a little follow-up. Uh, P.S. The Pac-12 has a weak non-conference schedule next year with a few really exciting matchups. Can't wait to see Washington and Auburn. Conference could legitimize itself in the first three weeks or sink into oblivion. I predict at least one FCS debacle. Looking at you, Wazoo, against Eastern Washington again. All right, good stuff from Matt. Uh, Matt and Whittier, let's see. You want me to go to Connor? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, hey, Ryan and David. There have been many complaints on the Pac-12 scheduling, so I thought I would put together a do's and don'ts list. Let me know where you agree and disagree and what else could be added. Do's, so he lists four things. Uh, have all the Pac-12 rivalry games the same week, preferably the last week of the season. Two. Agree. Yes. Agree. I like that. Have the Pac-12 championship game in Las Vegas to provide a neutral and fun location. No, dude. No. No, wait. Of course. Obviously. Agree. <laughs> Shout out to uh, our buddy Dan. Um, give all teams an actual buy before November. I mean, agree. 100%. Yep. Yeah. And four, be willing to schedule premier games during the day, even if it competes with other conference premier games. Most SEC people won't watch our late games anyway, even if nothing else is on, uh, except infomercials for insomnia cures. <laughs> Connor, he must work in television because he knows these things. I yeah. said, uh, don'ts. Play more conference games than the other Power Five conferences. 
I'm agreeing this. Do, do you agree on this? Or are you? Uh... I agree. Play whatever amount the rest of the conferences are playing. If that's nine, great. If it's eight, great. If it's four, great. But just play the same number as everyone else. I do like that. Um, two, play the Pac-12 championship game on a Friday. I Oh, don't. Okay, so this is a don't. Yes. Uh, yeah, 100%. Because Especially this year where you have – you have one team coming off a bye, and the other team potentially a road game on six days rest. Like, yeah, that's a good point. Just don't have November buys, and then that'll be solved. I don't mind the Friday game necessarily if it's at a neutral site where both teams are essentially road teams, and nobody has a bye the week before. If both teams are playing on six days rest in a basic road game, that's fine. Yeah, but. I just don't want the inequality because USC is going to go into that game with a marked advantage. And if like Cal or UCLA were going to make the game, um, they would have an advantage of playing on a Friday, I guess you could say. They used exactly. To, they used to play the Territorial Cup on a Friday, I thought, too, like Thanksgiving weekend. I don't know why they don't yeah, do that. Yeah, that was traditionally a Friday like day game, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't, the, I'm not the day sure. day after Thanksgiving? Yeah, I thought so. I don't know why that's not the case anymore. Um, they said, have a team play a Friday night road game after they played a road game the week prior um they did fix that this year and i think uh us complaining about it and john wilner writing about it i think that all probably helped um have games blacked out due to truck racing or any racing at all Um, agree well uh, are there some racing you would rather you'd rather see than like a a pac-12 game what kind of racing would that be Hmm. not truck racing that'd be kind of fun what, what kind of race? Like a go-kart race? That, that'd be that, kind of fun. That would be like Somebody good. who's like built their own car and they're trying to drive it? That'd be kind of fun. <laughs> we could play like, I'd probably that. watch that than like eight UCLA games I watched this season. <laughs> There's that. Okay. And then five, he said, have games start uh, after 7.30 Pacific time. If every game could start before 4 p.m. Pacific time, I'd be pretty happy with that yeah especially you living on the uh the east coast there he says sincerely brew in trouble ucla class of 2008 that's my class oh you guys are did you end up graduating or i did i did (laughs) after after five after five after five short years as a uh, straight history major did you do five years really okay i did five years to graduate with a history major nice i just impressive in its own way I did. I was broke, so I did four. I had to do four years of engineering, where I had to take like a zillion units every semester, which was terrible. But uh-huh. I did. Yeah, it. that sounds that sounds much tougher than my college experience. Okay. Well, well, you know, uh, you want to do the next one? Is it Earl in West LA? Yeah, I'll do Earl in West LA. Twenty eighteen schedule, guys. The Pac-12 fixed a few of the most griped about issues from the season. Every conference team has a regular season by, and no team will play a road game followed by another road game on a Thursday or Friday. However, the conference still doesn't get it, as the two teams who could potentially play in this year's championship game are slated to play on a Friday night again. It is an improvement that falls short of perfect. Do you think they will get it right by 2019? And then he lists off USC's full slate. Um, No, I don't think they'll ever get it right. Yeah, that so USC and Washington State play again on a Friday night, and I, I don't know where you fall on this one day, but I would feel like I don't want the two. They're basically the two highest ranked teams right now. I don't want like Auburn and Alabama playing on a Friday night. Like I, you know, if you want Oregon State and Colorado, I'm sorry, but if you want to play that on a Friday night, it's fine. But like 
why would you have like Stanford and Washington play on a Friday? Like that just doesn't make sense to me. Well, and it's the dumb thing, but like the reality of the situation is Bay Area teams and LA teams should not be playing on weeknights. It's too hard to go to the games. Like it's traffic is awful in those two cities and those two locations. <laughs> and maybe Seattle is too. I don't have as much familiarity with Seattle, but like it's just the reality of the situation is it's not an ideal format for really anybody in those locations. And through all the TV stuff aside, like that's just bad for the fans. I think there should be more pushback against that in the maybe next negotiation with the TV contract. But the LA schools and, and the Bay Area schools shouldn't be playing uh, Friday home games. Like it just shouldn't be happening. It just really makes it – it's a logistical nightmare, um, like Dave said. It's just – if if you don't live in these places, you might not know it. But, like, the traffic is – I mean, it's just a nightmare on a Friday. Like, what time are you going to have to leave? If that's, like, a 7.30-ish game, like, what time would you have to leave to, like, not hit traffic on your way to that game? I'll probably leave, like, noon on Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, I mean, Friday traffic in L.A., it starts being rush hour at, like, 11.30 a.m., and I'm not really exaggerating. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, like, I like to get to the press box early and stuff, but it's just, you know, it. And r- unfortunately, right now, with all the construction, um, USC is going to be a night. Like, USC at the Coliseum 2018 is going to be a nightmare already because they're going to be building some horrible building in the middle of the thing. So they're getting rid of all these seats. They're building some, like, Lucas Museum. So they're getting rid of, like, a thousand parking spaces. They still are building the. Uh, the new L.A. football club stadium where the the sports arena was, it's going to be a nightmare already. So then make the absolutely worst possible decision. Why don't we put a Friday night game in the Coliseum during the year that it's just like there's going to be like a temporary press box. All this crap is going on. It's going to make it really hard to get into the stadium, all this stuff. So it's like the worst of all. Like that, That's the worst possible year you should have a Friday game in L.A., and that's what they're doing. Uh, all right. Should I read Anthony? Yeah, Anthony's is one we didn't get to from the previous week, so that'd be a good one to read. Do you want me to do Okay. So he said, uh, hopefully I got this right. It said, hey, Ryan and Dave, who is the biggest breakout player in the Pac-12 not named Khalil Tate? And he said, uh, I guess it's the first question. Who's the breakout player? Herbert, you think? or I'd go Bryce Love. Bryce Love, I mean, yeah. nobody was expecting Bryce Love did this. Um he was expected to be a big drop off from Christian McCaffrey, and it really hasn't been the case. So I'd go Bryce Love. He, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you saw flashes of what he could do when McCaffrey was hurt. So you kind of felt like he was going to have a big, uh, big year. I, I mean, so and obviously he has. He can be a Heisman. You know, he's a Heisman candidate. Um, Justin Herbert might be that guy kind of next year, but just the fact that what he was able to do against Arizona and how different that Oregon team looked, um, he's a, definitely a dude to watch. Um, anyone else who would be in the mix? Hmm. Um, Lasley for UCLA was impressive, even though he was suspended for four games. Um, who else would be in that mix? Patrick Laird was pretty good for Cal. Yeah. Um, but I, mean, I don't know if I'd call him breakout player. Uh, KJ Costello has been decent enough for Stanford. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think there are any really obvious options besides uh, kind of those few that we mentioned. Yeah, like a like a Miles Gaskin or uh, you know uh, what? Why am I blanking on the uh, 
Colorado running back. Um, Philip Lindsay. Lindsay. These Phillip were known. Lindsay. Yeah, these were known quantities yeah. going into the season. Even like a Ryan Nall, like you kind of knew, and he, he's not had like the most consistent year, but we really like him. Um, and he said, since 2009, a Stanford player has finished second in the Heisman four times. Do you feel that any of them uh, were uh, robbed of the Heisman? So 19, uh, 2009, Tony Gerhardt, he lost to Mark Ingram. I mm-hmm. I kind of felt like that could have went that way. That, that was the whole West Coast thing. Uh, Andrew, yeah, Toby Gerhardt should have won. 2010, Andrew Luck lost to Cam Newton. Um, I mean... Both so those guys this are really good. Wasn't, this wasn't robbed, but Andrew Luck in 2010, that is the best Andrew Luck has ever been. Um, even compared to his final year, even compared to his NFL years, 2010 Andrew Luck was a phenomenal player. He yeah. just happened to be going against an all-world Cam Newton who won the national title. Uh, it could have gone either way. I don't know if they got robbed, but Andrew Luck was spectacular that year. Yeah, and obviously Newton was too. 2011, Andrew Luck lost to Baylor quarterback Robert Griffin the third. RG3 was pretty awesome too. So, I mean, and like you said, I think Luck was better in 2010 than he was 2011. I probably still would have given it to Luck just because Griffin was more of a system guy. Yeah. Um, you know, that Baylor system was just, I mean, it was so perfectly suited to a dual threat quarterback um and griffin hasn't you know and you don't want to take later performances into light but he hasn't been as as phenomenal in the nfl at all and it's gotten hurt really quickly um and andrew luck was still really good in 2011 just not quite at 2010 levels but i'd say a little bit more robbed in 2011 even though he wasn't as good as he was the previous year and then christian mccaffrey losing to Derek henry uh from alabama Robbed like crazy to me. Yeah, really, uh, all kinds of records. I, that, that was definitely, I felt it was robbed. Okay, good questions there. Thank you. All right, um, then we've got Michael. Who would you hire? Suppose you were the AD at a school that was replacing your head coach, and a very rich alum told you he would bankroll any sum of money as long as you hired a current Pac-12 head coach. How would you rank your top six? Um, and then he asked, and then he says, I won't ask you who you wouldn't hire at any price. Okay. So our top six head coaches in the PAC 12, basically. Okay. So you're at some school that's not where one of these guys are. Who would you hire? Um, you're going to go Chris Peterson first. You think Chris Peterson, number one overall, um, David Shaw. Well, here's the thing at Stanford, David Shaw. Yeah. At, Oregon State. I think I think you could do that for a lot of these guys. Where it's like, who are you gonna? Well, let's well, let's say just generic Pac-12 school. You got to hire one of these guys. I'm probably taking Mike Leach number two because his system translates no matter where you are. Okay, I like that. Um, so I'd go Peterson, Leach, then I'd probably go Shaw. And Shaw does some weird stuff in games, but all these guys do. Like, yeah, there's. I mean, everyone's flawed. Obviously, like it's not like everyone's perfect, but. Um, okay, I might do Shaw over Leach, but let's do okay. Let's do Leach Shaw, and then Whittingham. But okay, I, you you want to put Whittingham, but I mean, there's been so many bad things that were happening too. You know, like yeah. I think he's under, his teams have underperformed. Um, we've expected more uh, of these Utah teams, and you see the you see the potential, and they don't always perform that way. So I I, I mean. You gotta. Some of that's got to be on the coaching staff. 
Yeah, but think about it this way. We only have 10 coaches to choose from now because Gary Anderson and Jim Mora are now out of the mix. Right. So, okay, so who else would we pick? Clay Helton? I mean, the, do you think he's like one of the, the best six coaches? But you kind of probably have no. to put him up there, though. But like, I, I don't have him as one of the top six even in this scenario. Okay. Um, like, I think Justin Wilcox is probably going to end up better. Um, is he in the top six? So, all right. So, the only other real contenders for me for number four would be Rich Rod or Todd Graham, depending on how you feel about those two. Rich Rod, number four? I kind of would do that, but, you know, we could do Rich Rod. Um, you could do Whittingham. And then I probably would put Helton there just because he's had success. But you could, yeah, you could argue, like, I mean, we don't know enough about Willie Taggart, about Wilcox. It's just hard to say at this point. Yeah, I'd probably go Wilcox or Taggart as that six spot. Um, I haven't been super impressed with Helton with USC talent. And I think if you put him on any other Pac-12 team, uh, the warts would show a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, you know, fair. obviously they won the Rose Bowl last year, and they might win the conference this year, but um, still, it feels underwhelming. And it does. I think, uh, yeah, and I think for a, a team with lesser talent, he would uh, he would look a lot less quality right now. Yeah. But good question, fun question. Yeah. And then he's got one other question: uh, If you could hire a current a current coordinator from any team as your new head coach who would you consider oh um you might want to give jim levitt a shot like he's kind of turned that oregon defense around right um i guess so i I wasn't impressed with him at usf but i I guess so i think that might make the most sense of the current crop of coordinators about jed fish Eh, i'd want to see him uh do it somewhere else um first uh Maybe Bo Baldwin at Cal. I haven't been super impressed with that Cal offense, but maybe. Um, uh, Jonathan Smith is a big no for me. Okay. <laughs> um, T. Martin's name comes up a lot. Uh, oh, God, no. God, no. God, no. <laughs> I, just uh, wanted to, I, wanted to I make... don't know why that comes up, but it shouldn't ever. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably go Jim Levitt. I guess that makes the most sense. Okay. And then, oh, he, he had one last thing, but I think it's... Yeah, it's, this one doesn't matter anymore, Mike. Uh, <laughs> on a different note, if Jim Mora is retained, do you think he would hire a new defensive coordinator? I think he would have had to, but it's not a question anymore. Um, I I think... Okay, so Richard wrote us. He said, Pac-12 in general. I'm going to keep it short and sweet. All these aren't very good. I think he means all these teams are not very good. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's fair. That's pretty fair. Um, and then, Frank, if Washington State goes on the road and beats Washington, will they break the curse of the Pac-12 following Friday road games, Frank, Frank and Sacramento? I don't think so. I think they would lose that rematch. Um, specific. Uh, I think it would be a much more competitive game if it was played on a Saturday. But um, playing it on a Friday... That one last day of rest after the Apple Cup where they've just had an emotional win if they make it to the the game, I, I think they lose. And USC has a bye. So it's yeah, like, which maybe maybe that. it works against them, but um, yeah. do you want me to do the voicemail or do you want to read Nick? Um, Let me read Nick and okay. then I'll rest when we listen to the voicemail. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
Run down from Nick. All right. Hi, this is Nick from Cyprus, a.k.a. Big Nick 21, USC from the P. ASU 44 versus garbage. Oh, I think you, this is Oregon State again. You actually said garbage, I think, in, when we were recapping the game. I was like, that's, that's going to make Nick feel better, you know. Yeah, garbage 20. Uh, Oregon State will go 1-11 and 0-1-9. ASU will go bowling. Already got that magical sixth win. Arizona 28, Oregon 48. Wow, Oregon played D and made K-Tate look human in this game. And Oregon will go bowling with that sixth win. Well, seven, because they will wax the Beavers next week. LOL, wax the Beavers. (laughs) Uh, Arizona will beat ASU, in my opinion. 23, ugly. Uh, I think he, I mean, he got two of the letters right. I think he means UCLA. Oh, Uh, yeah. But he he went ugly. Typos, typos. Yeah, so many typos, Nick. Uh, 23, ugly versus 28, USC. So Jay Lasley has a great game with Rosen, but UCLA lost again to the men of Troy. Sam didn't have the crazy game like Rosen did, but won. Three in a row wins versus UCLA. No more sanctions, and UCLA is soft and can't beat USC. Fight on. Mora should keep his job. Hey, David Woods, Pittman has the ball, not Ajin. How do you pronounce it? Ajane? Ajane Harris. Ajane Harris. Um uh, Cal, 14 versus Stanford, 17. Stanford barely pulled a win out versus Cal. Cal has a good game plan, just couldn't get that W. Stanford was still alive for the Pac-12 title. Cal needs that win on Friday versus UCLA to go bowling. Utah, 30 versus UW, 33. Utah lost a close one. Uh, UW wins but cannot win the Pac-12 North. Questions. One, this is for David Woods. What changed for UCLA and Mora from his first three wins versus USC to now his three-game losing streak? Is it sanctions, coaching, softness, etc.? Um, I think you can't really take it as a full – like, you, you you have to look at them all individually. The first year, um, it was Rosen playing his worst, like, freshman-like game at a bad moment. I mean, that was his freshman season, and he wasn't Brett Hundley. I think if you stick Brett Hundley on that UCLA team – Maybe they win, um, but having a freshman in that spot who was kind of pressing. In 2016, UCLA was playing Mike Faithful, and he was not a Pac-12 caliber starting quarterback because Rosen was hurt, and the, uh, the, the rush offense was a catastrophe. So I think that speaks to one of Mora's big errors, which was handing the reins of the offense to Kennedy Palomalu, who was not equipped to handle them. And then this year, I thought it was a competitive game. You know, uh, this is one of those games that kind of can go back and forth like that. And this year it was, you know, USC that won it. But I think I was telling this to Ryan last night. We were talking. I think if they play that game 10 times, the teams probably split the five. I mean, they, they probably go five and five each because I think they're both pretty even on that game. Um, now, maybe USC has a little bit more upside than UCLA this year. I think for sure they do. But on that day, I thought they were pretty even. Um, so. You know, I, I think each was an individual occurrence. It wasn't like the seven-game losing streak that UCLA had uh, before Mora, um, where so many of them were blowouts. This felt more like, yeah, well, it's just kind of the circumstances of the situation. I don't know if you have different thoughts. Well, Brett Hundley's obviously a lot better than Josh Rosen, right? Like, that's what I would see. Right? <laughs> uh, Brett Hundley wa- was well-equipped to um, to play well in these games because he kind of threw out, um, you know, he uh, one of my – one complaints with Hundley over his last two years was he was really trying to gear himself up for the NFL. So he would stick to the pocket and just try to like really, you know, show that he was a pocket passer and he wouldn't run enough. But in those USC games, 
he kind of threw that all out the window yeah. and just decided I'm gonna I'm gonna do whatever I need to do and he would suddenly play like the superstar we all thought he could be um, and so he was well equipped for it but I think Josh Rosen is actually a, a better quarterback who's gonna have a better career it's just um, I think Hundley was well suited to to playing in these big rivalry games yeah I agree with that all right uh, two who goes bowling and gets that big six win season uh, b- big sixth win this season Utah versus Colorado UCLA versus Cal does a five and seven team get in so I say we both picked Utah. Oh, no, I picked Utah. You picked Colorado. Um, uh, I picked Utah to win, though. Okay. So Colorado we, just to cover. So we both think Utah. We both picked UCLA to cover a seven-point spread against Cal. So Cal with a K. Um, I know. I spelled That's that weird. wrong. Uh, yeah, so we both think it's going to be Utah and UCLA. And I don't think a 5-7 and seven team will get in because that would be – I don't think you need any more because already, you're already going to have to get, like, at-large – like yeah, bulls, right? So, yeah, probably not five and seven. I would think. I don't think so. And then three, rate the best to worst rivalry games in this conference. And yes, you can be homers here. All right. Well, worst is easy because it's Utah, Colorado. Right. It's not really a rivalry game. Um, okay, so we'll throw that one kind of just out. Um, I would say Oregon, Oregon State is probably second worst, only because Oregon has a bigger rivalry with Washington. Yeah, I guess that would be like a secondary thing, um, where it's like, yeah, that's that's probably bigger than like when we're talking about like the territorial ones. The uh, well, the yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, what, what? Okay, what do we think is the best? Is like, I, I mean, I think it's it's Apple Cup or USC UCLA for me. I think would, I'd go USC UCLA. You wouldn't do big game, like you wouldn't do Cal Stanford. No, it just hasn't been competitive enough. Yeah, I guess so. And and they haven't been playing like UCLA USC. It was some absurd number of times that it has decided the conference. Um, Cal Stanford rarely does. Right. Um, it rarely swings the conference. So I think from a meaning standpoint, that just knocks it back a little bit. I mean, I, I'm judging it from that perspective. You could probably judge it from like a intensity perspective, but even there, I think the the uniqueness of the UCLA USC rivalry kind of trumps it. Okay. So let's do that. So we'll do. And the territorial cup. What about that one? So the like, there's, there's a lot. I don't of, know enough about the territorial cup. I don't know enough about like the the history, the rivalry, the passion there. But just judging by the quality of the teams over the years, and you know them not necessarily competing for the Pac-12 as much or yeah. Pac-10 then. Okay, so we'll do SC UCLA, uh, Apple Cup. Then what do you think? Big game and then territorial. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Um, and if, if you hate that ranking, just we want all of your voicemails. We want all of the hate. <laughs> um, but and you can tell us we're being homers, L.A. homers. Um, I don't I don't think so on this. I think I think uh, a lot of people would agree just because of the way the the rival, the UCLA USC rivalry has dictated who wins the conference so many years, maybe especially in recent years, largely because USC has been the team winning the conference a bunch. But um uh, I think the meaning of it still puts it maybe a little bit ahead of the other ones. And I think the the there's there's a uniqueness because there's so many teams that come from the area, and there's the whole conference. There's teams from Southern California, obviously. But when I was walking on the field after the game, I can't tell you how many Cardinal and Blue jerseys were together taking photos because these guys played in high school or they were their brother, whatever it is. Like there's so many just group photos with USC and UCLA players in it afterwards because 
these dudes really, really know each other. I mean, that's that's the the unique thing about this as far as a, a national unique uh, rivalry. Absolutely. Um, should I play the voicemail? Sure. Oh, he said, uh, "Fight on and don't ruin your life." At the end, by the way, I don't know if you. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, I just, I, I, I must have skipped that. <laughs> but he meant bru- like it, I think he means ruin your life, but he put "ruin" for some reason. So Weird. An extra Weird. B. Uh, okay, here's the voicemail. Hey, Ryan and Dave, this is Chris. Uh, I live in Corvallis, originally from Biloxi, Mississippi. Big USC fan. Um, I had a couple questions. I know Justin Wilcox' defense has been tremendous this year at Calahome. He never was able to do the same thing with USC. I want to know if he has a future as a head coach. You know, Nebraska might be looking for one, and uh, Tennessee definitely is. I was just wondering if he could be a possibility there. And being from uh, Mississippi, I was wondering how you think USC would do against a legitimate team with a tremendous team overall, uh, Mississippi State. Uh, I just want to know how you think you do it against them in a possible game. Thank you very much. I'm out. Well, thanks for that. Um, we probably don't have a whole lot of Mississippi guys that live in Corvallis that are huge USC fans on the podcast. Maybe we do. I don't know, but that's great. That seems very unique. Um, I do think Justin Wilcox has a future uh, as a head coach, because he's a current head coach. Um, but it's his first year. I don't think um, he would go someplace like a, a Tennessee at this point. I don't think you would hire him away. It's not like he's done these crazy good things at Cal, like a Scott Frost or something's doing at UCF, you know. Um, I think he's put a really good staff together, and I think he could be, you know, maybe he's one of the better coaches in the Pac-12 at some point. But you okay, Dave? Yeah. Oh, no, no, I was just uh, – I, I swallowed wrong. Oh, uh, I thought you were laughing no, at me. I'm like, is, am I saying something that crazy? No, no, just <laughs> coughing. Just coughing like a person who is sick, you know. You know I, how it is. I am going to say, yes. Uh, um, I, 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 I don't think he would be hired after this year, but I wouldn't be shocked. You know, it depends on how many jobs open up and who misses on their candidates and all that other stuff. Um, Tennessee, I, I – with their fan base being basically up in arms about Butch Jones and the whole thing, I just can't see them dipping down for Justin Wilcox. I think they're going to try to, you know, get somebody who's a little bit more high profile. But I do think Justin Wilcox is going to be a hot name soon enough. Um, I think he's done a nice job at Cal. I think he did a great job hiring assistants. Um, and, you know, we're going to see. But I, I think he's shown some acumen for being a head coach that wasn't necessarily apparent when he was a coordinator. Um, so... Uh, he's done a nice job. I think he still needs a, a year or two more at Cal before he can start looking around in earnest. Yeah, and I think he's done well pretty much everywhere except USC for some reason. Um, like, you know, at Boise and stuff like that. I thought he, he was doing a good job there. But, yeah, he's, I think he's showed a lot of promise as uh, the head coach at Cal. We'll see if he's able to build on that next year. As far as USC playing like a, a Mississippi State, I haven't watched them a ton. But I think USC – they when they've traditionally played uh, SEC schools, they've done well just because they got a lot of athletes too. So, a lot of times SEC schools can out athlete you, and USC usually has athletes to to compete there. So, I think that would go okay. And who knows? Maybe we'll see. Uh, maybe Dan Mullen comes to UCLA or something, and we could uh, see that those two guys, you know, Clay Helton and Dan Mullen, go out. What do you think, Dave? That'd be fun. Uh, yeah, I, I think USC would win that game just because Mississippi State's been it's been a pretty hard line between. They beat up on the teams they should beat up, and they generally lose to the teams that are ranked ahead of them. Um, Dan Mullins did a great job. Starkville and Mississippi State, that's a hard place to win. Um, he's done a phenomenal job, but um, they haven't really pulled off any of those big 
wins over higher ranked opponents that you would like to see. Um, and so I think USC would have the talent advantage, would have the speed advantage, and I think they would uh, win that game. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for the voicemail. Uh, you want to do the next one? You want me to do the next one? What do you want? I'll do the next one. This is Scott in Washington. Uh, hi, Ryan and Dave. Uh, so this is SC Pac-12 title, UCLA Mora firing questions. Uh, sadly, we're down to the last weekend of the regular season for the Pac-12 already. Time flies when you're having fun. Jake Browning wins his first ever come-from-behind start at UW over Utah, and it was legit. Throughout the fourth quarter, Utah blitzed one and more often two or more extra guys every down on Jake with the clear message, you're going to stand in there and make throws under pressure and duress to beat us, and he did. Good for him. UW also did not handle pressure of being the hunted and getting ready for every team's best shot well this year. Uh, made an above-average Stanford and a very average ASU in Utah look like 8-10 win teams when they played us. Now for my questions. Does it really matter, one, does it really matter whether it's Washington State or Stanford in the Pac-12 title game against SC? Can you see a realistic scenario for either one of those teams beating the Trojans? Absolutely, dude. Washington State already beat them this year, and Stanford has kind of found its rhythm a little bit more than they had at the beginning of the year when they lost to USC. And USC is good for, you know, farting away a game in a big moment. <laughs> now, obviously, they've had a bye week. They're getting the Friday night advantage, all that good stuff. So I think Washington State or Stanford would be comfortable dogs in that game. But, yeah, absolutely there's a chance. Yeah, I would say there's a chance for sure. Um, and we've seen USC turn the ball over. There's, like like Dave said, you know, so eloquently farting games away. Like, that's that's certainly capable. But there would be a definitely an advantage where I think – USC had a disadvantage when they played uh, at Washington State. That would kind of be reversed in this one. And beating David Shaw twice in one year, that's not uh, easy. You, you know that Stanford would have a, a different game plan. Um, that that was probably USC's best game all year when they played against Stanford. But that's been the exception, not the rule. You can't really expect USC to play that well again if they played Stanford again, I would think. Right. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, two. With Mora being fired by Dan Guerrero so quickly after the SC game, obviously this was the decision that was several weeks in the making. In talking with your connections, do either one of you have any backstory info of how it all went down? As for potential candidates, any chance Kyle Whittingham from Utah is considered. Recruiting trench guys is not his problem. It's the skill positions. At UCLA, he wouldn't have to leave the city to have a roster full of those kind of dudes he would only dream about at Utah. Well, so this game is a shock to basically everybody on uh, – everybody – you know, kind of in the booster groups who I've talked to, um, we I think we were all kind of surprised that this happened that quickly. And as I talked about earlier, I think it was kind of surprised it happened right then to uh, even Dan Guerrero, um, based off kind of the way it went down with Mora. Um, uh, there were lots of reasons this happened. Um, fundamentally, they haven't won enough games, and it's starting to really show in season ticket sales. Um, UCLA, I think I was reading in Plashke's story earlier last week, uh, they're down 25% in ticket sales since 2014, uh, which was the last really good year for Mora. Um, and when you're not putting butts in the seats, that's got a real, you know, it, real correlation to the bottom line in revenue. And um, I think that's that's a big part of it. And you know, they're five and six right now, potentially five and seven, depending on how that Cal game goes. And they were four and eight last year. Can't can't have back-to-back losing-ish years. Um, and I think Mora had lost a good deal of the equity he had built up through his first three or four years um, over the last two. Um, he's a, I, I, I like Mora. Um, he's been a good guy in a lot of respects. You know, he did a great stuff for Brandon Huffman and his family when 
their daughter had cancer. Like he's done some really good outreach stuff. He's been a really good players coach in a lot of different ways. He's also been kind of tough to deal with for the UCLA admin for, for a long time. And I think all of that probably played in where he just didn't have maybe as much equity stored up as you would expect from going 29 and 11 his first three years and helping to build that football facility. And it was just, you know, he didn't have another bad year in him. And, you know, going into that game, I thought if they if they didn't get embarrassed, I thought he was going to get not only till the end of the season, I thought there was a chance he was going to get a full another year. Um, so it was a big surprise, but um, it was a big surprise from a timing perspective. It wasn't a surprise that he was eventually going to get fired. Um, this was trending downward for a while. Now, as for the potential candidates, um, Chip Kelly is obviously the number one. Kyle Whittingham isn't in my like top five, but if if they miss on their top five, I think absolutely Whittingham should be a candidate. I'm not as down on him as Ryan is. I think he's a good coach who's done about as much as you can do um, at Utah. I've, I've got some questions about the offense for sure, and the fact that they've had to change coordinators every single year basically that he's been there is an absolute worry. But I think he'd have a lot, an, lot easier time with UCLA-level talent than he does with Utah-level talent. Um, I think he'd get, to your point, more skill position talent and would be able to field um, – a better offense just from that standpoint. Um, I think you would just have to hire him with the intent that it's got to be contingent on getting a really dominant OC. It wouldn't be my first choice. I'd prefer to get an offensive head coach who brings an innovative scheme on his own. But um, I, I think Whittingham would be a fine, you know, like a like a ground rule double of hires. Ground rule double. I like that. Um, and I'm, I'm not to be clear. I'm not down on. Kyle Whittingham, but I felt like they've kind of underperformed. I felt like they're they've been there, they've got close. You know, we've seen Rich Rod win the South. Like he hasn't won the South yet, and I think he's had some teams that could have, could have done that. And you see some collapses at the end of the games, like we saw at Washington. So um, there's definitely some chinks there. And and like you said, the the revolving door of uh, offensive coordinators has got to stop. Yeah, exactly. Uh, cool. And I love what he said. I didn't realize this, but. He said that was Jake Browning's first ever come from behind win, uh, at for over Utah. So that was pretty impressive. Like that's, I mean that's that's kind of what we we're talking about. We just haven't seen him have to do that. Now he doesn't have a lot of opportunities, um, but there was uh, something there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Michael says Dave and Ryan. The emergency broadcast was epic this week. I, I, I'm list, I apologize. I've not listened to it yet. Uh, before Sunday's news, I was going to email Dave with the over under over slash under on revenue sports firings at UCLA before the 2019 academic year academic year at 1.5. Now that we have the one locked in, I'd rather ask this fun question, Dave. How do you rank the following coaches below in order of preference for UCLA? Not all are realistic, but it's still fun. First, he said Newt Rockney. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, one he says less miles. Uh, which I know oh, that God. makes your skin crawl. I think he'd be awesome eating grass in the Rose Bowl. Uh, oh God! <laughs> I, I'm I'm reading this list as you're going through them, and I'm like dying a little bit more with each name. But this is continue. this one's going to be an obvious top candidate, Steve Sarkeesian. Um, uh, Lane Kiffin, spelled with an E. It's, it, there's no E. There's an I. Um, Jim Tressel. These are How so good. How freaking old is Jim Tressel right now? <laughs> Dino Babers, uh, Jim McElwain, 
Really good job in Florida. Uh, Angry McRedface. That's Brian Kelly. That's my little pet name for Brian him. Kelly. Okay, Angry McRedface. Um, seems kind of racist. Uh, Norm Chow. <laughs> and then and the obvious, Rick Neuheisel, <laughs> round two. So is this... Our answer to John Robinson, too, is yeah. uh, Rick Neuheisel, round two. <laughs> Holy hell. Does Michael this hate is, you or is he like trying to give you a heart attack? Like did he does he have an insurance like a right. life insurance policy oh out in your God. name? Uh, this is this is the question I was born for. All right. Um <laughs> You know what the screwed up thing is here? What? He's basically put me in the position where I have to say Lane Kiffin number 1. Does like he basically did that. That's pretty good. I, because honestly, right, so I think Lane Kiffin me, would be better. I would think, like, I think Lane Kiffin would be better this time around. Like, he's got his flaws, but I think he's going to be pretty good somewhere. Like, somewhere good, to be honest. Yeah, I, 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 I think so. FAU has actually been really good this year, so I'll, <laughs> I'll take Lane Kiffin number one. <laughs> yes, um, I'll probably take. Can I tweet Jim that Tress- out that you want oh, Lane oh, Kiffin? <laughs> I'll take all 64 years of Jim Trestle, number two. Um, Jesus. Um, God, I'll take Dino Babers, number three, not because he's any good, but his offense is. And maybe if you marry it to a DC, it would be passable. Um, Okay. I'll take Les Miles, number four. Wow. You have to really hate these other guys because I know you hate Les Miles. Oh, I hate it so much. Uh, Jim McElwain, number five. Oh, my God. You're taking um, – this is <laughs> – uh, I might I, – I, I, no joke might take Sark, number six. Okay. And then uh, then I'd probably have to go Brian Kelly, even though I hate him and I think he's a repugnant human being who should be in prison. Um, wow. I mean, that's what I'm saying. If you put Brian Kelly under Sark – and under McIlwain, holy crap! I, I I would have to stop watching. Like I, I wouldn't be able to watch a Brian Kelly coach team because I think he should be in prison. Um, and then, uh, I mean, he killed a student manager. He like did. The, he did. The, the dude died because he put him in a scissor lift in the middle of practice during high winds. I mean, just criminal negligence. Um, and then we've got Norm Chow and Rick Neuheisel round two. Um, I'm really interested to hear what you say. <laughs> now, this is the real playoff here. Because um, Norm Chow is like, he's got to be 70 now, right? I think so, yeah. He still lives in the Manhattan his, Beach, I believe. And his best days are not, yeah, he's 71. His best days are not only behind him. They are like 15 years behind him. Um, so I'm going to take... I'm going to take Rick Neuheisel 2.0. Wow! Ahead of Norm Chow. Norm Chow is my bottom pick in this group. Dang, that's pretty bad. Because Rick Neuheisel, he's going to be horrible. He'll be he'll be cheap, and at the very least, he'll recruit at a high level and reload it for the next guy. So Rick Neuheisel 2.0 is like 99th on my coaching list, but he is one spot ahead of Norman <laughs> Chow. <laughs> Your hatred for Rick is like. It's, I've only like so I've only met him a couple of times and I've like done his radio show and uh, he actually was doing uh, what he was I think he was doing an SEC game with Aaron Taylor who I be, kind of be, became friends with and so I like texted Aaron I'm like hey tell my buddy Rick I said hi 
It just seems like this really nice guy, and your hatred for him is so crazy. Because he was a horrible, 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 horrendous coach, <laughs> a charlatan of a coach. He can, you know, but he can play the guitar, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's a really talented guy, just not at coaching. Not you like coaching you like him as an analyst, though, right? Like I do like him as an analyst. He's pretty good. He's pretty I, good. I, I, he like lets a, his he lets his bitterness show about UCLA a little bit, but I think he's he's generally pretty good. USC, like USC people who you know normally would like him. Um, I th- they've seemed to like him on our our boards and stuff, like as an analyst and everything. So it, it sucks that he he's not with the Pac-12 Network anymore. But you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, uh, this is from Alex from Pasadena. First of all, that was a great question. That that, that last one. Um, Alex from Pasadena. OMG! Exclamation point! Exclamation point! This entire Pac-12 season is an emotional roller coaster. Teams that are good aren't very good. Teams that are bad get worse. Coaches being fired all over the place and so on. My question is, can we blame Larry Scott? Okay, now on to the serious question. Is all this madness Pac-12 parody or just simply bad football? Thanks for the cast. You're doing the Lord's work. By the way, Chip Kelly or Bust go Bruins. Um, I think it's largely bad football. More than it is Pac-12 parity. Um, I think it's a kind of combination of both. I feel like, and I want to yeah, all ask, equally bad. Yeah, I want to ask Larry Scott about this the next time we get it. Like, I think he'll be at the Pac-12 championship game. It does seem like their focus is on parity, and I don't think any of the other Power Five teams or conferences are focused on that. Like, you don't want to see like if you know they're not going to like hinder Alabama from making the playoff. They want Alabama to make the playoff, you know. They they want Ohio State to be able to make the playoff. Um if you do things to hurt Washington or Stanford or USC or whoever it is in the names of parity, I think that's some of it's by you know, some of it's by design of the conference, you know, and I just don't think that's the right attitude. I get that the the Olympic sports are what this conference uh hangs its hat on, but these are the sports that pay pay the bills and if you're gonna like i don't think water polo or or field hockey is going to get worse if washington has a better chance of winning a national championship you know like i don't think that hurts the other the olympic sports but it seems like they really do focus on parity dave as as opposed to letting the top team shine yeah Yeah. i i I think that probably makes sense i just think from this year isolating it i just think it was this league just didn't seem very good. Like watching other teams in other leagues, I just like I don't think the best team in the Pac-12. We did this exercise. What was it last week, where we compared USC to the you know the champions or the even like the top two or three in every other league, and there was only maybe one league where we felt they would have competed for the Pac-12 or for the conference yeah. championship, and that was the Big Twelve. So I just don't. I, I think the league is just down this year. I think yeah. it might be up again next year, but it's down this year. And Alex likes so Alex likes Chip Kelly for the UCLA job. Uh, Dave likes Lane Kiffin apparently. So you know he's. I will ch- I will fight you to the death if you <laughs> if you make that a meme or some sort of thing that gets. I'm just going to get a bunch of trolls who listen to this podcast. You're just going to say, "Oh well, uh, Dave Woods picked Lane Kiffin. Uh, I think I think it's time for to start the uh, the Kiffin era." <laughs> Kyle Bonagora. Sends me DMs just constantly with with gifs of Lane Kiffin. Um, I think he's I think he's trying to hint hint something at me. When I um, I, I troll my wife a lot because she you know they're they're she's totally in the groomers for Tennessee. So my wife's a Tennessee grad, 
And uh, and they they're to the point where they hated Kiffin so much. If they don't get Gruden, like they would welcome Lane Kiffin back at this point. It's it's hilarious, and it's like because that's how bad their coaching has been. And I do think he would be better this time. And he did pretty well even that first year. He just left after one year for USC. The way he did it was all weird. He pissed on everybody off, even though he named his kid Knox and all that stuff. So um, it would be kind of funny if he came back. Plus, he'd be single, and he would just have a lot of fun. <laughs> are, you, are you okay? Yeah, he'd be on the prowl. Yeah, he's that's, you know, Lane Kiffin, Lane Kiffin single, you know. Um, you want me to read this one? You got this one. You read it. Okay. Hey, Ryan and Dave. Uh, this is from Zach. Uh, it's Thoughts and Musings. I want to start by saying uh, that as hard as I and most of the UCLA fan base has been on Jim Mora in recent seasons, he upgraded the football culture at UCLA and is leaving the program in a much better position than where uh, where he found it. Uh, And for that, he has my gratitude. Now to my questions. I would agree with that. Do you think that's the case, Dave? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think he gets a lot of credit for how he started his his career at UCLA. Yeah. I think he definitely brought like a sense of toughness and – it was good. I mean, I think he competed for some five-star dudes locally, and they did a lot of good things. Dave, how dumb and outdated is the narrative that UCLA doesn't have money? By reading Gerard and the rest of the P, you'd think Dan Guerrero was digging through couch cushions in the Morgan Center to find nickels and dimes. Didn't we just... <laughs> That's what I thought. I mean, maybe it's different. Uh, didn't we uh, just build $100 million worth of athletic facilities have the highest paid assistant coaching staff uh, of reporting Pac-12 schools and buy out a coach for $12 million. Just saying, see what I did there, Ryan? That's uh, one of the things that Dan Weber, my beat writer, does. He's just saying. Um, Yeah, I think it is outdated. I don't blame uh, people for having that narrative because it was the case for many, many, many decades. Um, But UCLA does have more money now. They've gotten much more booster support. Another thing you can probably thank Jim Mora for – the investment in the football facility has kind of bled off into investment in just the totality of the football program. Um, and I think the excitement built out of those first three years where UCLA looked like it was a budding, you know, potential Pac-12 contender, potential national contender. Um, I think that made people think, huh, maybe UCLA can be real, really good. Um, so there's a lot more money to play with now. Um, Dan Guerrero, again, has done a very good job managing UCLA from a fiscal perspective. The athletic department's in good shape um, from that perspective. They've got the money to spend on some stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's a little it's a little outdated. I wouldn't call it dumb. I mean, it's it was the truth for you know thirty years, um, but it's it's not the truth anymore. So the couch cushions must be paying off really well. Uh, no, so I'm so I'm in the the tunnel of the Coliseum and that's where like the the big semi-trailer trucks that have all the equipment so after the game we're in there like getting interviews and all the, like the worker bees are like putting equipment back in these trucks and you know what you see on the side of the UCLA truck it says IMG and Under Armour so I mean obviously there's new and few, you know there's money there right so it's definitely different but I I never I don't really feel like there was too cheap to do that but 12 million dollars 12 million dollars even in the SEC They'd be like, you know, when Bielema's buyout, people thought it was like above $12 million at Arkansas. They were like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. They realized it's actually down five or six. And it's more doable. So I don't think just thinking not you couldn't buy out $12 million thinks you're cheap. That's that's expensive for just about anybody, I would think. 
Yeah, and I, I don't know how they're going to work that. Um, all we've heard is that Casey Wasserman's going to have a role, and I don't know if that just means paying it out. I don't know if it means finding a, you know something for Jim to do for his money. Um, I have no idea what it means. Um, but certainly it would be mitigated down a little bit. Um, if he wants a lump sum, I'm sure they would get it negotiated down to like 8 or $9 million, which is still a ton of money. Uh, yeah. But UCLA has... UCLA has some uh, has some pretty wealthy boosters. They've got again they've managed the athletic department really well from a fiscal perspective. So um, it's a little bit surprising they're willing to make that buyout payment. You know we were talking about it last week that we didn't think so if they didn't end the year in embarrassing fashion. But um, you know it, it's not it's not like the most shocking thing in the world. And then he said, Ryan, rank the oh shit level of the. <laughs> The suck so, but with a dollar sign, dollar sign. You see, hey, this is this is a hashtag you used this week. So I, I, I think it's it's probably the, the new name of the school. Someone, right? um, someone like my wife was like texting me like, hey, you. So I told you like do that like you accidentally type when I type USC real quick. Sometimes I put SUC, you know, and I like tweeted that out and and someone pointed it out whatever and I you know delete it. But someone like captured it and like tweeted it back to me, so that was kind of cool. Um. He said, okay, so rank the oh shit level for the, the USC fan base for the following UCLA coaching candidates from one to five, with five being Chick, Chip Kelly and one being UCLA's reaction to uh, Clay Helton. Okay, sure. so so what we have here is uh, Chip Kelly. So, okay, so one to five. So five, Chip Kelly, yes, that, that's the biggest oh shit level of anybody. So, I, and I actually have people when USC was looking for a coach. I'm like, yeah, Chip Kelly would be great. And there's a lot of USC people, a lot of people in general, they're just like, no way, the game's like the game's changed. Everyone does that now and blah, blah, blah. And I just think that's utter crap. I think he would crush it in college, yeah. wherever he goes. So he would be number one oh shit factor. Kyle Whittingham, probably not a lot of oh shit factor. Uh, Dave Aranda, same sort of thing. Like he's a coordinator. I don't think that's a good oh shit factor. Kevin Sublin, I think, would be a really good recruiter. He would like threaten the recruiting base so he would probably be next to chip kelly for me uh dj durkin i just don't know enough about i don't think that's a shit factor if you have to google the guy um mike norvell same sort of thing it's like yeah and uh mike riley probably the bottom of the oh shit factor would be the most ucla he said that would be the most UC, be the most ucla of all time um so the, the two that would do oh shit factor certainly chip kelly and i would think someone just because of big names if you're like a coordinator and stuff it's just like i don't I don't think that's a major oh shit factor yeah I, I my personal ranking would have it be kelly norvell um whittingham sumlin i i think from usc's perspective they'd be more worried about someone just because of the recruiting factor yeah. i just don't think he's a very good coach um but that would be my order of the top four it'd be kelly norvell whittingham someone i think norvell He's a bit more of a risk, but I think the upside is there for him to be, you know, potentially really good. Yeah, no, I think there's certain upside there that could turn into, but just like when you hire, like this is what I was saying when people were asking me. I'm like, okay, when USC was looking at head coach, I'm like, what do you think Jim Mora would say when the announcement comes out that USC hired Clay Helton? Like, did did that impact Jim Mora's day? Probably not. If USC hired Chip Kelly. Does that impact Jim Moore's day? You're damned right it would. Like oh, that's yeah. that's the oh shit factor. So that's what I think a lot of the fans on Twitter that were kind of getting on me didn't quite understand. Like that's a name where you got to change your day. Like you're something's different in your life now if you're one of the other coaches in the Pac-12. For sure. And he said, Ryan, I fully endorse you using the correct spelling of the school you cover. 
which I embedded into your brain through the mailbag every week. But a small critique, if I may, use the the dollar sign instead of the S, of course. Keep the tweet next time. So that was he was referring to the tweet that I, uh, yeah, Good stuff. I tweet a lot, probably too much during games. So like it just kind of goes fast. We all do. Um, all right, this is from Austin from SLC. What makes a rivalry? Hey, Ryan and Dave. First question was, uh, first question, was Whittingham's timeout when Washington was trying to run out the clock to go to overtime the single worst called timeout in the history of college football? Uh, it's up the, there. Probably not the history, but it's, you know, the worst of the year, I would bet. Yeah, it's one of the worst of the year. Uh, anyway, I'll try to forget Utah's spectacular choking job and focus on this next week. Uh, growing up as a Utah fan, Rivalry Week with BYU as the last week of the season was always one of my favorite weeks of the entire year. The trash talking, the pure animosity, and the entire community getting involved were amazing to watch. Conference championships usually seem to hang in the balance of that game every year, and more important than that were the bragging rights that you would have over your friends and family for the next year. But all that's changed. Ever since we came to the Pac-12, our rivalry with BYU hasn't really meant anything, especially since we've beaten them seven times in a row, and I honestly kind of miss the way it used to be. The Pac-12 and the national media try to paint Utah and Colorado as rivals, and I would honestly love to have a rivalry with them, but I just don't feel it yet. I don't know how Buff fans feel, but to most of us Ute fans, it just feels like there really isn't anything there. So I want to ask your thoughts. What would it take for Utah-Colorado to become a real rivalry, and how long do you think it would take? And then just for fun, if you could rearrange the rivalries in the Pac-12 and create six new entertaining rivalries, what would they be? Thank you guys for doing what you do and making me laugh every week. Go Utes. I would say time. I would say time, right? I think time. time so amazing. here's what here's what Austin. So I get what you're saying, Austin. And here's the advantage I think you have, at least for now, the way the Pac-12 is set up, the uniqueness of the geographic rivalries, the paired off teams. That there's five other you know good ones, right? That are all paired off. So there'll be a little bit of a residual effect from that, just because it's kind of like forced upon you. Um, it's not like what was the one that they were trying to make up like. Connecticut and you know South Florida or something. I don't know they were making some rivalry up, and it was just stupid. Like, they made like a trophy and everything. Like it was just kind of dumb. I think time, um, because and and if they do split it up, so it's like it, it is a rivalry week where all these teams get to play each other the same week. If we if they get that at some point, I think that would be great. But I think some more time with that. But just because you have these five other ones, it I think it'll help kind of nurture that rivalry. And you know and. If Utah wins the South, or you know Colorado has already won the South, if Utah wins the South, and it can kind of come back and forth, or who knows? I mean, it can add more to it. But it's just they—I don't think they've both been good really at the same time. It's not—it's not been great, obviously. And like you said with BYU, they've been kind of terrible too. So that kind of hurts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think if it both were good right now, it probably would happen a little bit quicker. But I—I I, I do think it's time. I mean, I think over the course of twenty, thirty years, you know. One of the, Utah is going to win the win the South, and one of these teams will win the conference, and then it becomes a little bit more important when they play. But it just hasn't had that same importance at the end of the year. Um, hey, did we leave Mike McIntyre out when we were talking about the coaches too? Like, he's just not in my top six at all. Okay, he's like that's, he's won the South, and and Whittingham hasn't. You know, so that's part of the weird thing too. Okay, yeah, and then um, rearranging the rivalries. Okay, so. Um, UCLA ASU I think would be fun. Those two teams don't seem to like each other. Okay, I mean more more is gone now. I, I think that could be fun. USC Stanford. I mean that kind of like the California ones are kind of is one. Like would 
I would want to think of one that's like outside of that. Like that's certainly a big rivalry now, um, but it's like the California schools. I don't know. Does that would that count to like? Is that rearranging? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I don't okay. think they're rivalries. I mean, I think USC has Notre Dame and UCLA. UCLA has USC. Okay. I mean, I think let's do Stanford then. That's good. That that's probably a good pick there. Okay. You wouldn't say um, UCLA and Cal. No, I, I well maybe. I mean, it was a back and forth thing for a while. Whichever team had the home game would play, but UCLA ASU just feels a little bit more like it's been fiery of late. Like a little bit more, you know. These two teams just don't really like each other that much. Okay. Um, so we Arizona use... Utah. Arizona Utah feels like it's got a budding rivalry to it. I like that. I think that would be good. Um, um Colorado Cal. Colorado oh. Oregon State maybe because they <laughs> no. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, but no, that's sad. Um, <laughs> I, I, Washington State Cal, because Cal just beat them bad yeah, at home this year. I like that. Okay. And then Washington, Oregon, obviously, which is a rivalry, so we're cheating, but why not? That is cheating, yeah. I like that. Okay, that's rearranged. Yeah. Okay, we got one last one, right? It's yep. Just, it's from Matt. Question on the UCLA job and the Pac-12. Uh, Hey guys, first off, just want to say I love the podcast. You're easily the best Pac-12 pod on iTunes and a welcoming, a welcome distraction every week. Matt, we are the only (laughs) Pac-12. I really think we just outlast everyone. Now, John Wilder actually does one, but it's like once a month or something. He's not very consistent. Um, Yeah, we we can say we are more consistent than John Wilder. Yeah, Uh, he'll he'll basically just have a guest. There's like no introduction. There's not, you know, uh, we love John and we've, we've had him on, but. Um, he's not a huge podcasting guy, but he said, my question comes from something I read in an Andy Staples piece on UCLA's firing of Jim Mora. The statement came near the end of the column when Staples was arguing why it might make sense for UCLA to hire Kevin Sumlin. You know, the guy, the Bruins miraculously beat earlier in this year because of his terrible late game strategy. I'm I'm guessing Matt's not a fan of this. Um, Not a fan. So, Staples wrote, UCLA might be interested in him because, A, he'd bring Noah, uh, Noel Mazzoni oh. <laughs> with him. B, he recruited well and, quote, didn't Mora. And C, he's been competitive in the rugged SEC East. He then concluded that Sumlin struggled to beat Bama, but that's okay because Alabama doesn't play in the Pac-12. No one close to Alabama does. I think that's very fair. Um while I find all three points questionable at best, it it's really the last statement that makes me scratching my head the most. I realize Bama has been the best program in the sport by a pretty wide margin during the past decade, but didn't USC do something similar a decade earlier? And hasn't USC shown glimpses of that ability in the succeeding 10 years? I mean, I think USC is like the the 800-pound gorilla, but it's not like Bama. Like Bama just gets coaches fired every year. Like, it's just hard. They're, that's a machine. Well, um, and the thing with Saban in Alabama is that they're doing this, and it's not a very down SEC. I mean, this year it's not great, but it was a really good SEC the last, like, five years, and they're still a machine. I mean, yeah. USC, I mean, and not taking anything away from those teams, I think the whole cheating thing is overblown and all that kind of crap, whatever, whatever, whatever. Sure. I mean, they were taking advantage of a Pac-10 Pac that was not great. Um, not a lot of great head coaches. There's much. It's a much more competitive league now, from a coaching perspective. A lot better coaches, a lot more money involved, which makes hiring coaches a lot easier. So it was kind of a, a confluence of factors. They recruited at a high level. They were coaching at a high level. They were playing at a high level. 
They were also taking advantage of a Pac-10 that wasn't in great shape by any means. I yeah. don't know if you have a different thought. No, yeah, I think so. And I, I think I think what Pete Carroll did, like I, I think Nick Saban, there were sleeping giants around, right? I mean, there was time, you know, Texas, Alabama, USC, all these teams were like terrible for stretches. And you get a good coach in there, and it kind of wakes the sleeping giant. Now, there's different levels you can do it. Nick Saban's done it like no one's ever done it before. Um, but, you know, when Pete Carroll took over, a lot of the best Southern California five-star dudes were going to, like, Florida State and uh, Miami and stuff like that. And he kind of stopped that. Um, and, you know, maybe that helped the whole conference where guys were staying more on the West Coast. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, I think you're generally right there. He said, okay, I, uh, I generally enjoy Mr. Staples' work. Obviously, he's very plugged into the college football world and does a great job covering it. But this take seems to reflect a viewpoint of USC, the Pac-12, and the UCLA job as doesn't jibe with recent and older historical patterns. Outside of the Donahue era, UCLA's always played second fiddle to USC, and it's clear the Trojans are the behemoth of the Pac-12 that everyone measures themselves by, much like Alabama and the SEC. Heck, just 11 months ago, UW was only down 10 points going into the fourth quarter of a playoff semifinal against Bama in the since-imploded Georgia Dome. That That just happened. So my question is, is the gap between Bama and USC slash Pac-12 really that large? Also, is it easier for UCLA to coach for a UCLA coach to compete with USC than a Texas A&M coach to do uh, the same with Bama? Uh, thank you for taking my question. I'll hang up and listen to your comments off the air, Matt. Hopefully, this uh, pushes you guys past <laughs> two hours this week. He did this was like three hours ago. It sent so yeah, yeah. Um... So we answered the first question more or less up top. Um, is it easier for a UCLA coach to compete with USC than a Texas A&M coach to do the same with Alabama? I think no question. Um, A&M is like the fourth best program in the SEC West. Um, UCLA is historically the second best program in the Pac-12 South. Um, the second best program historically actually in the Pac-12, even if they haven't won dick all in 20 years. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I think historically UCLA has a better chance of competing with USC than probably any team in the SEC does with Bama, right? I would think so, yeah. Um, now, bo- both programs are in, like, fertile recruiting grounds, which is good. Uh, but even in Texas, it's not like, it's not like you know, Texas A&M is, like, the, the best program in Texas, even. Um, so, it's to, I, to me, it's just Alabama is that kind of, it's a it's a whole different beast, you know. And the fact that he was able to to compete and actually beat Alabama is a feather in his cap. Um, I think I think I, I like Kevin Sutherland more as a coach than Dave does, I believe. Um, and I think he'd be a great you know recruiter. Uh, and I, I think when you're UCLA, there's a lot of five star dudes right here in Southern California, and USC probably gets the majority of them. You just want to kind of to get a few of those dudes that are really considering both like a Darnay Holmes or something. And you're able to get them, you know, you want to get more of those guys, um, the guys from Sarah, stuff like that. So I think a Kevin Sublin could come in and do stuff like that. That's why I think he would be dangerous. Okay. That's fair. That's um, it. That's it for us. What? Uh, so, and, and if you're UCLA, right. Um, I want you to be able to, you got to get back and win the actual Rose bowl. Right. So when, when's the last time UCLA won the Rose bowl? Do you remember? Mm, 1986. 80s, okay. So, 
can a Kevin Sumlin? I think that's what you want to kind of judge guys. Like, hey, can you go back and win the Rose if Bowl? If you if you keep talking about Kevin Sumlin getting hired uh, for the UCLA job, <laughs> I'm going to quit this podcast and never come back on. All okay. right, I entertained it for a while. It was fun. It was funny. I enjoyed it. Um, if Kevin Sumlin gets hired, I'm going to quit following UCLA football. Dang. Okay, so Lane Kiffin's your number one. That's obvious. So we we've, we've done that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you son of a gun. It's it's uh, it's fun, Dave. Um, but whoever you, I, I think that's got to be the priority. And I think a guy like Chip Kelly, you think you could get back to going to Rose Bowls. And obviously, now we talk about yeah, so, playoffs. So and the Chip stuff. Kelly thing, I do want to bring this up with Chip Kelly. If if UCLA gets him and they get 2011 Chip Kelly, then yeah, I mean they'll do what Oregon did. I mean, or or the closest facsimile to that in the you know 2018 2019 season. I think they'll be back to doing at least what Mora did his first three years, competing for the South, competing for a championship in, like, year one. So, yeah, if they get 2011 Chip Kelly. If they get 2016 Chip Kelly, who was, like, running the same play over and over and over again for the in the NFL and, like, had lost all innovation and just looked terrible, I mean, I, I don't want to bring that up, but that's 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 that, that would be my concern, is that it's maybe not the fiery innovator from – the Oregon days, if uh, if if the NFL is rubbed off on them too much, yeah, I just I feel he's going to do well. I think it's a, one of those things where people are like, "Well, everyone's running his stuff now," and you know, you're an innovator once, um, you're a guru of, at stuff. It's not like you can't make some more tweaks and some changes and do some things. But you know, usually the guy who originates stuff does it better than the people that have copied him. I would say, um, and you know. He can bring all. It, it's going to be a different thing. Now, maybe he's really good. Maybe he's not as good. But I, I think it would be exciting. And but you don't know. I mean, no, no one's a home run. You just don't have no idea how it's going to work out. Um, I mean, what if Tennessee gets John Gruden? What if he comes back? He hasn't coached in ten years, you know, and it's he hasn't been in college in a long time. I think he would like you know bring a whole bunch of energy and excitement and make Tennessee relevant. And I think Chip Kelly makes UCLA relevant. And I think that's a lot of what you do. What has Lane Kiffin done? He's made FAU relevant. You know, like that's what you want for your program to start at least. Um, he did that when he was at Tennessee. He made him relevant. He talked trash to Nick Saban and people were talking about him. And if you make the program relevant, and obviously that only lasts so long if you're losing games, but um, you would think those guys could win games too. But I, I think bringing a sense of relevance, showing that UCLA and showing the rest of the Pac-12 like, we are willing to fire Jim Mora, who just got an extension, pay twelve million bucks, and hire the biggest name out there. Like that shows that you are taking this seriously. It doesn't mean it's going to work out and be amazing. You got a good shot at that, but I think at least tells the world that hey, this is something we took seriously. We want to win football games, so we're going to go out and do the be- you know the best thing we could possibly do. Money doesn't matter. We're going to do it and bring in Chip Kelly. Absolutely. All right. Well, we did go over. We're like two hours and 15 minutes, so. Whew. Well, good stuff, Dave. Yeah, fun stuff. Uh, we knew we had some news to talk about, so it was going to go a little bit longer. And we got a lot of questions. A lot of the questions were on the schedule, too, so I, um, that was good. Um, yeah, well, I hope you enjoyed your birthday. And, Thanks. Uh, and uh, enjoy the coaching search. They're always fun. I've, I've got to do several of those over the last few years, so. <laughs> it's going to be a ton of fun. Yeah. It's uh, that's so if people don't know, like in our job, coaching searches are like the it's like Christmas and New Year's and like that's the most important thing you could uh, you could do. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's and it's uh, it's the busiest time for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, go go play with the kids. Enjoy the rest of the your residual birthday stuff. Thanks for all the questions everyone sent in. And uh, that's David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. We are the podcast of champions. We really appreciate if you're still listening two hours and fifteen minutes. Uh, you get a gold star from us. So thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time.